Plague laws, this is not the first time in history that plague laws have been used to centralize control. Control of transportation, control of labor, control of banking and bank accounts, control of all the different kinds of capital that make up human civilization. But the COVID laws are particularly draconian in the history of plague laws because not only do they control labor, transportation, banking, but now with advances in digital technology, we're looking at complete control through the banking system of 100% of all assets, ultimately. So what, what happens here? For many, many years, most of us have grown up in a world in the Western democracies where we have a balance of power between the bankers and the people. The central bankers control monetary policy, and the people vote for an electorate that controls fiscal policy. Now what we're watching with COVID laws all around the world is the central bankers moving in and exercising essentially a coup d'etat, where they take control of fiscal policy as well. And again, with the advances in digital technology, vaccine passports will not be about health. Vaccine passports are part of a financial transaction control grid that will absolutely end human liberty in the West. For many years, I have fought and written against central control of the financial system. We've centralized more and more capital, more and more control. And we've done it with tactics called divide and conquer. And we've all experienced many different divide and conquer tactics, men against women, black against white. But now we have a new one called the vaccinated versus the non-vaccinated. Because if you're going to centralize control of every aspect of people's lives and literally strip them of their assets and their property rights, you need a new, more venal divide and conquer. And we can't let that happen. You think about this. I got expelled from Instagram because of vaccine misinformation. But Instagram and Facebook cannot point to one single erroneous statement that I ever made. Everything we post is vetted. It is sourced and cited to government databases or peer-reviewed publications. When they use the term vaccine misinformation, they are using it as a euphemism for any statement that departs from official government policies and pharmaceutical industry profit-taking. It has nothing to do whether it's true or false. It only has to do with what the political implications are. And who is doing this censorship? It's government officials in league with Bill Gates, with Larry Ellison, with Mark Zuckerberg, with Sergey Brin from Google, and with all of these internet titans, they have engineered not only the destruction of our democracy and our civil rights, but they have engineered the biggest shift of wealth in human history. $3.8 trillion from working people to these handful of billionaires, many of them from Silicon Valley. This pandemic has impoverished the world and created 500 new billionaires. And those are the people who are strip mining our economies and making themselves rich. And is it a coincidence? 
that these are the same people who are censoring criticism of the government policies that are bringing them trillions of dollars. People aren't stupid. We can see what's happening. We can ask the question, qui bono? And the answer is the people who are benefiting are the people who are squeezing away our constitutional rights and engineering the destruction of democracy worldwide. Welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. September 19th, 2022. Thank you for joining me today. I've got a really, really good show planned for you today. A lot of important topics, a lot of new, I mean, at least as far as I can see, new information that hasn't really been highlighted by a lot of people in regard to some of the things we've talked about in the past, such as the mRNA platform. And how that has clearly been a plan. That's not even new in and of itself. But how it seems there's been discussion as far back as this show is at least in the middle of 2021 discussing not only how this was going to be the future, but that there's a lot of very weird ways it could be misused. Except that's not part of the conversation when it's had in the transparent discussion by our government and the people that by Catherine Austin Fitz and RFK Jr. they're discussing. You know, the same people that are dishonestly censoring you and controlling the future of everything in your health, but everything else around that health being the the guys through which they do pretty much everything. And this is not a secret today. You may you may argue they're saying they're doing all this for your best interest because of climate change or some other narrative. But this stuff is on the surface today. This is being discussed as justified because of said fill in the blank. But it's not, not you can't argue these things are not happening. They are absolutely redesigning, reimagining, building back better everything in front of you right now for a, a varied grouping of discussion point, like because of this, because of that. A whole bunch of excuses, even though you can see that all of them are discussed in a block of exactly what needs to happen in one conversation and one discussion and think tank group. Can you guess what that is? Do you understand how all of this fits together? Now, even if you think these are just outline things we want they wanted to do that then ab just organically happened all at the same time all for different reasons and they're all rolling about at the same time if that abstractly one in a million one in a billion type situation possibility even if you want to grab onto that you have to be willing to ask the question about whether or not some of this if not all of it has been manufactured allowed to happen destroyed so that it can be engineered into place I mean, it's just it's crazy that we even have to kind of walk through that. But some people are still waking up to the reality that a lot of things throughout history. And I recommend James Corbett's work on this. A lot of these topics have been manufactured provably. So today we're going to go through how this is happening again, right in front of us and even building into the next step right now. And we're going to talk about a lot, a few different things as it progresses. One of the we're going to start right out today with uh, four things, in fact one of which we're going to touch on and then finish the end of the show. So please stay tuned. But very important things that not skittered throughout the show today, but we're going to start with a huge uh, 2005 discussion about how science specifically, or rather peer reviewed science and information 
can be and is being manipulated. And this is being discussed since 2005. So we can see that this is not a new conversation. We're also going to talk about a study that's discussing antibody dependent enhancement and reiterating that, yes, this is a very real problem. But you already know that because we've been pointing at a study that came out December 2020 that said very real problem. We all must be told about this. And nobody said a word. And now they're saying again with a new study from Nature, peer reviewed, saying, yes, very clearly a problem, but weird that no one's talking about it. And then we're also going to talk about an mRNA discussion, which is a really important one for me today, about how they're discussing from this Swiss uh, think tank, essentially, this group, about how these things can be misused and how they've always known this. And, you know, not today, of course, because only the good guys are using it, right? Well, that's not the reality. But we're going to go through a couple of shifting narratives, as always, as I call it the whiplash narrative, how apparently today or yesterday on a dime, well, guess what? Maybe it did come from a U.S. lab. Or guess what? Maybe it is less than the flu. <laughs> now we're allowed to pose those questions. Isn't that interesting? Nothing new, by the way. It's the same information we've always been talking about. And we'll go through that again today. Not to say that we know for sure, but just simply pointing out that these were things we were trying to discuss. Openly have a conversation about, could this be the case? Could it have come from this lab? And we were shouted down, censored, and screamed as dangerous threats to everything possible democracy health anything your grandma and now they're going well maybe we could talk about them now sort of how the wuhan lab or just lab in general was crazy dangerous fake news until one day they said could it have come from a lab oh let's talk about it and this is the ridiculous part of all of this how this continues a myocarditis point we're going to get into about how clearly this is exploding and the just obscene way they're trying to cover this up ads for childhood myocarditis because of any number of other things climate change included it's insulting to your intelligence and we're also going to finish with an important discussion around disaster governance and how it's still being used even mayor eric adams going let's declare emergencies for monkeypox so we can get funding going i mean it's it's just anywhere opportunist everywhere but then we're going to finish for the very obvious transition for the digital ID, how she was talking about at the beginning, the vaccine passport and the My Carbon Initiative and how they're using this. As we already showed you, 2015 Cargill discussion in Washington, D.C., that a pre-planned food crisis and exercise simulation found that a global carbon tax was the solution. I mean, it's just all right in front of us, guys. So we're going to go through it. So please, as always, stay tuned to the end because we're going to really go through the mRNA platform part as it pertains to the Great Reset specifically. We'll touch on it at the beginning, but you really want the meat of that and how alarming it is. Please stay tuned till the end. And I can't promise it won't be a long show, but I'm trying not to make them extremely long as much as people may want them to be. But to start off today, I wanted to do a quick shout out for the recent show that we're the, the new show we're doing moving target for Rockfin exclusive. So these will only be for Rockfin and you will have to sign up account to, uh, and at, or a paid account to be able to see these, but I will be re releasing the podcast afterward a couple days afterwards so everybody can still access all the content but this is a special and this is just a way that we're helping fund and Rockfin is helping keep T-Lab going. All right. That's what this is important. So think of it as a way of like, paying for the Patreon that we don't have anymore that they censored us from or right now paying for the subscribe star, even though the content is elsewhere. It's a way of you finding supporting us and you can do it through this platform as well. And it's a great interview with Richard uh, Grove that we just put out today. Uh, my interview with Matt uh, Eretz is coming out tomorrow, I believe. And then the next one. I oh, by the way, great news. I'm interviewing Bernie's tweets tomorrow. Because I really want to get it. I, I'm just loving her work lately. You'll see a bunch of it today. And I'm going to go into, you know, how all this has changed her perspectives and what she's doing. And I'm really excited for that because I re she really seems to have her finger on the pulse, at least as I see it, of what's going on. 
But here's the, the show from today. This was called Richard Grove Interview, The Great Reset's Dark Origins and the Crumbling COVID Illusion. Please check it out. Great discussion. He's really, really insightful person in general and the work he's doing. But let's start off today with an interesting overlap here. In regard to the Donald Trump part of this. And I just want to do a really quick part on this. In regard... Excuse me. Let me pick something up in regard to how this is clearly being used. And I, I it's so very transparent to me how this, like I called it, and I still call, I called it in the, in the links beneath the show, which are already posted, by the way, got that out early, the MAGA trap, as I called it. And I really believe that's what this is, at least parts of this in general. So this is, you can see at, at Westfield woman charged with calling in bomb hoax to Boston Children's Hospitals. And apparently there's all sorts of other, you know, ho- bomb hoaxes that have been threatened and even ideas that there was one in Boston. Weirdly enough, apparently, well, this is the weird part for me, by the way, is that there, there was a bomb that apparently went off outside of some transgender classroom and somebody opened it, but nobody really got hurt. And now there's all these reports of these bomb hoaxes. So it's, I'm wondering if they went a little too fast right there and somebody claimed it happened and somebody lied about it, but it was all oaks. And who ultimately knows that's not my point of this today, because I don't even find, I find they will lie about anything everywhere all the time. If it gets something to their agenda across, they just being whoever we're discussing in the moment, the hierarchy enslaving you in this case, it would be the team behind the outlet. But the point in this is not to get into the background of all this, but to show you the shameless way they'll try to fit this into whatever they're already trying to sell you. Right. In this case, you can read this whole article and read through all the information about these weird things and how these people are trying to protect transgender people, even though, guess what? They can't prove any motive whatsoever because they don't know. So as you can see, it says, well, I cannot comment further on the alleged motive of this case. And you can read through it. They don't know. They don't know why it happened. They don't know why this person did it, at least as far as last I checked before I went live. Maybe something's developed. But here's my point. Why would you write an entire article about how this was about protecting LGBTQ and attacks against these people and all these other claims of things? How do you even know it's related? How about you How about you look at the classroom on the other side of the hallway that had nothing to do with the LGBT community? It's a choice to make it about that. Now, it sure, certainly could be, right? I mean, no one's arguing that it couldn't have been a targeted attack against these people in this classroom. But my point in showing you this is to, first of all, ask you ask yourself why Uh, Boston Globe would write an entire multi-paragraph article around the idea that this is something you you'll see my point if you read this about protecting LGBT communities and you got comments from the FBI and everybody else saying we're doing all we can to protect these communities while they haven't even proven that was what this was about that's just propaganda regardless why you see my point is it's about shoehorning that idea in now the point I'm making that for is to show you this is happening everywhere in that same point, I want to shout out an excellent article Derek just put out, Are the Children Lying? Reexamining the Satanic Panic. Now, the reason he did this article, since he's already been researching and investigating the Mormon Church part of this, a, because all this got started by people sending us documentation and video that had never before been released online and that we were able to digitize and release for everybody. Not this part of it. Are the Children Lying has been online before, but it's the previous video that we released in his previous investigation, which, by the way, you can find right here. You got this one and this one. These are both ongoing investigations I've made landing pages for. This one was the Utah Ritualized Sexual Abuse Investigation. This one being the Injustice Delayed Investigation into Gordon B. Hinckley and Walter Hunter. Now, all these you can check out for yourself. The point is, this one was in regard to a the secondary video we discussed. Brad Edwards from Channel News 
uh, news channel four back in the nineties, doing this little segment about these children. The point is that he's been covering this and talking about it. And during this process, NBC came out with a big, crazy article about how this is satanic panic 2.0. And it all comes from QAnon and MAGA people. Just sweeping in everything Derek did into the idea that he must be a Q man because that's the only place that comes from. It, acting like there is no other possible way that, no, that a child could be abused. Unless it had to do with QAnon conspiracy theory. I mean, think about how crazy that is in a world where Epstein has been openly discussed and the whole process therein in even corporate media. And yet that's how they deal with this. Now, my point is to show you the, the articles and how it overlaps with the idea of framing it as some QAnon MAGA discussion. There's not this is not by accident. You'll see this everywhere from this discussion, from COVID-19, from the Great Reset. Everything's a MAGA Q conspiracy. Apparently, that's not by accident. Oh, the lone terror shooters? Oh, that's a vanilla ISIS QAnon thing too, right? No, you, how is that even possible? Especially since you can see that most of it is being cut from whole cloth. January 6th, everywhere. My belief is that this was an agenda that was meant to happen that they just keep falling short on. They're not taking the bait, and I'm glad to see that. But it says in this discussion, questioning the government makes you an extremist. Despite no current knowledge on the motive behind the shooting, NBC reporter David K. Lee spends 10 paragraphs discussing Igor Landis's political beliefs. Apparently, he shot this guy shot his wife. And all they do is take the story and then just wax intellectual about his political beliefs, even though there is no motive being discussed. He says he tells us that Igor's own daughter discusses how he went down some conspiracy QAnon rabbit hole. So that becomes the focus of a massive NBC article, despite literally being no evidence to indicate that caused anything to do with the shooting. It says the point that Lee is desperate to make is clear. People who question the elections, the injections, EMFs, or have a general distrust of government are potentially violent actors, maybe even murderers. It says overall, this attempt to conflate unpopular or controversial beliefs with dangerous behavior is simply a continuation of Biden's administration efforts to target extremism. In quotes, the term itself was recently redefined by Corrine Jean-Pierre while speaking about Americans who oppose ac access to abortion. She appeared to endorse the idea that anyone not aligned with the majority opinion could be labeled an extremist. And I made fun of her at the time for pointing out, well, what about all the times previous to this where the majority thought the slavery was okay? Crickets, right? This was an effort for her to, ar to, to argue that right now, if you're not with us, you're part of the enemy. Sort of like George Bush's, if you're not with them, if you're not with us, you're with them. It's the binary divide and conquer idea that she was discussing in the beginning. It says, and again, she says, this is KJP's quote, we see a majority of Americans who disagree. And so when you're not with where the majority of Americans are, then, you know, that is extreme. This is where she was fumbling, trying to make sense of it. And she realized she cornered herself. This is an extreme way of thinking. She just argued that anybody who doesn't agree with the majority is an extremist. That's ridiculous. And I pointed out Biden's tweet, Donald Trump and MAGA Republicans are a threat to the very soul of this country. Simply that. The point is that you are framing anybody who has a different belief as an extremist. And in this case, you have a guy who shot somebody who just so happens to be this person who looks at things online. And without any point of overlap, you just make that the entire article. Why don't you wait for evidence to come out? Why don't you wait for the investigation to finish? Well, no, because then you lose the fervor. You want to hypo hypothesize and push in the idea that MAGA bad guy. That's all this is. And it's crazy. And meanwhile, completely overshadowing the idea that children have been abused. Whether or not it's a ritualistic or satanic concept, you guys are actually hiding this stuff in an effort to, and maybe they want to, in an effort to 
whitewash or broad stroke every single person who disagrees with them as one dangerous thing. It's mind-blowing. But this is very, very obvious. Now, here's an interesting part about this. I highly recommend you watch or read this because it gets way worse. You get into the whole information about what they're trying to whitewash. There's two articles, in fact, he goes into. I was only focusing on one. The other one, what they do, is completely whitewash the entire discussion of what Derek was investigating. In fact, literally ignoring all the evidence and acting like the guy that Derek was investigating, Levitt, who was simple, the Utah Sheriff's Office is still investigating for human trafficking in one part. It's just because QAnon, that's it. Despite the fact that there's all sorts of evidence on the record and the case that he was previously in, in, involved with was, was basically it's still open. It can be retried and the evidence was only, it, the case was only stopped because they weren't able to get certain testimony from certain people. The evidence was there and all they did was act like it was a QAnon conspiracy theory and he's no longer guilty. And that was it. Read it for yourself. It'll blow your mind. But this is the kind of stuff that NBC or any other corporate media does if they're pushed to it because they're propaganda. Well, here's an interesting overlap. That's my opinion, of course, but that's pretty clear to me. You don't completely whitewash a, a potential pedophile with evidence that suggests that he was involved in something like that and then act like it's no big deal when you're ignoring all the evidence and saying it's only QAnon. Trump openly embraces, amplifies QAnon conspiracy theories. According to the corporate media, of course, Associated Press, reposted by MSN. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that's what's happening, because I argue this is an effort by the corporate media to push this idea. But here's the point, though. Trump is, in, in certain ways, leaning into this, just like he was during his administration, because there's a huge uh, body of people here that's a huge amount of support. But what I find interesting is why would he do this at a time when it's so very obvious at least I can see that they're being set up, that they're trying to get these people poking with the stick. Do something. Do something. Come on, guys. Start the insurrection so we can point at it. Right. That's what this feels like. Even their own people in the Trump community are talking about this. And yet, nonetheless, he still leans into the part of that community. They're still looking at Q chat boards and acting like that is some kind of crystal ball. Despite them still not knowing whether that's being fan fed to them directly from the FBI. I mean, it's crazy. Just, the point is, it says on Tuesday, his Trump social platform, truth social platform, basically posted an image of himself wearing a Q lapel pin overlaid with the words, the storm is coming. That's from Trump's platform, whether or not, and his account, whether or not he's the one posting it, that's going to be used just like they're doing now to say Trump supports Q. Therefore, there you go. It's all Q. It's all MAGA. It's all dangerous. I just don't understand why he would do that or why he would continue to say, get the vaccine even though seemingly everybody that supports him believes that's not true. So it doesn't make sense in why people still support that. There's not a 4D chess move here, guys. It's killing children. You're killing people. So it's not like we'll let that keep killing people until we can use it. That's evil. <laughs> even if you think that's in the best interest of the country, you're still allowing children to be killed. You can't, none of this makes sense. Now, I'm not saying that's what's happening, but leaning into the, the possible discussions here, how do you explain any of this? Now, this says that uh, Trump contemplates another run for the presidency is becoming increasingly assertive in the Republican primary process during the midterm elections. His actions show that far from distancing himself from the political fringe, he is welcoming it. Of course, that's how they're framing it. I would argue he's just taking advantage of a huge grouping of people that he knows that will support him. He's publishing published dozens of recent Q-related posts in contrast to 2020 when he claimed that while he didn't know much about QAnon, he couldn't disprove its conspiracy theory. I, I, that's him 
playing middle ground. That's just what he does. It's politics. But it says, pressed on his, the QAnon theories, Trump allegedly is saving the nation from a satanic cult of child sex traffickers. He claimed ignorance, but asked, is that supposed to be a bad thing? <laughs> That's a great way to put that, right? So you're saying that it's not okay, that, that it's bad for me to stop that if that's what i'm doing like it's a weird way to the point is they believe they're pushing the idea that there's no such thing as a whether satanic or otherwise they're so desperate to shoot to force it into the most extreme version of it we're talking about people look you could very clearly put epstein's discussion over that are we not talking about a weird cultish group of people that are absolutely provably sex trafficking children for elite people elitist people we can't scoff at that anymore because that's they, they had to admit it. Okay, so then let just ignore. Ignore for a minute the idea of the satanic cult part of it and just realize that we're still talking about sex traffickers who are doing some pretty disgustingly occult, nefarious things. What well, it doesn't have to be satanic, certainly could be. There's plenty of indications you can look through history to see that there's overlaps with the the uh, societies, different groups, the people that tie back to people in power. Just a, just a thought to consider. But bottom line, to act like that's a crazy thing is crazy in and of itself, as we've seen this proved out. My point, though, is to say that this is something that is crazy. Therefore, if you support it, you're a Trump supporter. Therefore, you're part of an extremist, dangerous group. He says, if I can help save the world from problems, I'm willing to do it. So this just falls right into the easy way to frame it all as Q and crazy. Now, maybe you could argue he just did it because he believes it. And there, I, would, I would even support that, even if I don't. You got to stand by what you believe in. But it seems like a, a dangerous thing to do now. Almost as if you guys are being set up by the very person you're supporting. Ah, something to consider. Question everything. This one was on September 16th in Psypost in their Donald Trump category. Yeah, that's just so telling. But it says race influences Trump supporters' willingness to punish white-collar criminals. Study finds. And this is just a continuation of the same thing. This is ridiculous. This is going out of your way to set up a study that's only willing, like, the whole point of the study is, are Trump supporters racist? Well, gee, if you start out with a very specific point you want to find, you're probably going to find it. It's called confirmation bias. You don't start a so-called study with an exact endpoint in mind. You have it open, you, and that's what they did here, and you can see it for yourself. It says, supporters of President Trump desire harsher punishments for Chinese-American people if they committed bank fraud compared to white people who committed the same crime. Well, you know what sounds, and even if that's true, by the way, because who knows, based on the manipulative information they're spreading everywhere about everything, where's there an overlap? Hmm, let's think real quick. Oh, that's right. Anybody in the let's say fringe left or left or whatever you want to call it in the false two-party paradigm and white people. Oh yeah, that's right. They're not even a bashing thing. There's white people should be, you're racist. If you're white, you should, you should get different treatment if you're white, which by the way is literally racist, but think about how ridiculous it is for them to go there. They don't like Chinese people. Well, well the same kind of back and forth. This is how this works. It is double standards. It is hypocrisy. Both sides are ridiculous in their own ways if these things, in, in generally speaking, but in this case, if they, this is true, you could see the overlap on both sides. One result we found especially surprising was that individuals who supported former President Trump were much more likely to support the use of deportation for punishing bank fraud when individuals convicted of defense were Chinese. It's just kind of ridiculous that they force this in to be about just Trump people doing the one thing. We, why do you even have this study? You guys already have this opinion. 
It says the study is literally called Faith in Trump and the Willingness to Punish White Collar Crimes, Chinese Americans as an outgroup. That's the name of the study for crying out loud. I mean, my God, it's so self-serving. And they know if they just name it something in that ballpark, they're going to get funded. This is very simple, which is going to lead us to the very first part we're going to get into in regard to the study, which is why this stuff happens today. But before we do that, here's another point on January 6th. Influencer says he was offered money to spread anti-Trump January 6th lies on TikTok. Brings receipts. But how much you want to bet nobody cares about this, even if he can prove it, which it seems he can. Is, is anybody even surprised by this? I'm not. This seems pretty basic. This is happening on every possible way and any possible topic. People are trying to influence what they want people to see, even if they believe it's for the right reasons, which I don't, I'd never believe that. That's just something that helps people digest the reality. But the part is, or the point is, an attorney and TikToker trial by Preston revealed in a video that the Good Information Foundation attempted to pay him $400 to spread unsubstantiated rumors and misinformation about January 6th. President Trump and his 2020 presidential campaign. Quote, I was just offered $400 to make an anti-Donald Trump propaganda post related to the January 6th investigation. That is completely not true. He makes a video. He provides information. You can see if you, if, you know, anything could be made up these days. But are we pretending like this wouldn't be exactly what we might expect from any side inside the political paradigm? But here's the point is he asked him to say criminal conspiracy, not attempted coup, treason or insurrection. Say Trump Republicans, not Trump and his allies. Say January 6th investigation, not here your trial, right? Talk about MAGA Republicans, right? These are talking points. So why would you need to do that, you know, with an old Obama administrative administration official to, why would you need to lie about something if it was such a real obvious situation, right? You know the answer to that. Here's another ridiculous part. Uh, President Biden's, you know, whoever's controlling this account wrote, I have a message for those who chose to choose to sow fear and darkness. So for yourselves, apparently, or anybody else in political talking situation in a political situation, he says, you can't love your country only when you win. Right. So you are speaking to yourselves then or anybody in all sides of politics. Like, does anybody really stand back and only think Republicans? How do you not internally stand back and go, oh, us too. That's right. What we saw as Trump took office. Not my president. Not now. Not ever, writes the New York Times back when this said, right? This, and this is everywhere, right? And this is not saying, look, just to be very clear about what he says here, only when you, you can't love your country. Okay. So they might argue, well, we're not saying we don't love the country. We're saying we don't love Trump. Well, guess what, guys? That's exactly what the other side's doing too. Let's not be six-year-olds about this. But that's, of course, all they have. The point is, are we pretending MAGA people or Republicans hate the country? I mean, what a stupid argument. They clearly do not feel that way. They don't like you, Biden. They feel that you guys are stealing the country, even from within the party paradigm. I mean, just think about how dumb it is, right? But this is their point. They're painting a story for the elections, but they're failing from every possible side right now. That's what I think people are realizing. They may still have a Republican left, you know, left right leaning, but most people are starting to go, this is pretty stupid. Even people that are, you know, within it, like I talk to people all the time today that are like, I still believe that Trump might do this, or I still feel like Republicans are better than this, but they see all of it. They laugh at both sides in Congress and the way they play this game because we are being played always. Now, here's the point about the study and the research, right? Coming from why these kind of things like this really ridiculous study about Trump are even happening today. Now, this is, the, this is a really important point that I want us to carry through this whole discussion today. This is from the Journal of American Board of Family Medicine. It's archived, but it's from 2005. 
Now think about how crazy relevant this is to everything we're seeing today. And what a lot of people are only just now beginning to kind of wrap their mind around that research, evidence-based medicine, evidence-based research, random controlled trials, they've been broken. Now, doesn't mean you should ignore it. It's there's plenty of ways that even like I, the way I'm the point they make about Twitter. As much as it's wildly controlled, completely censored, it still has an e ability to be some of the best real time. You know, there's a, a five minute variable in there before they can delete stuff where things are just coming out fast and you can get amazing real time information as long as you consider half or most could be false lies, deep fakes. As long as you're willing to be honest about that and realize that you don't just buy whatever's in front of you, it, there is some good information. Same thing with this. That's how it always should really be, is that people can be wrong. People can make mistakes. But research today should be taken with a grain of salt, even the random controlled trials, even the peer-reviewed, as we're finally beginning to see. But what this is pointing out from 2005 is that this, why that's the case. Because it has been politicized. It has been broken with, with money coming from special interests, just like politics. This is entitled The Effect of Conflict of Interest on Biomedical Research. How important it is to today biomedical research that's everything right now and clinical practice guidelines we can trust the can we trust the evidence in evidence-based medicine guess what their answer is no guys right to the chase it says funding for clinical research has changed dramatically over the past two or three decades before 1970 few clinical studies were sponsored solely by the drug companies that is well it's well far past change now scientists who 10 years ago quote would have snubbed their academic noses at industri industrial, industrial money from industry, now eagerly seek it out. Universities had little choice but to turn to commercial sources of funding. Between 1977 and 1990, drug company expenditures on research and development increased sixfold, much of, what, much of which went, in, went to support university-based clinical research. Now, we have to remember between the lines here, realize why this was happening. This is government leading this in that direction for their own benefit. According to a report recently issued by the British House of Commons, 2005, quote, approximately, again, in 2005, they were saying this, approximately 75% of clinical trials published in the Lancet, New England Journal of Medicine, the Journal of American Medical Association, JAMA, are industry funded, meaning they're funded by the very people that have the, the interest that's the conflict of interest in finding one thing or the other. But only approximately a third of the commercially sponsored research is now being done in universities and academia, academic medical centers. The remainder is being conducted, guess what, by for-profit research companies. And you know what? They're driven by profit. The end result, it says, among even the highest quality clinical research, including the Cochrane reviews, the odds are 5.3 times greater that commercially funded studies will support their sponsors' products than non-commercially funded studies. Think about that. You can't miss that. A five-time increase in the studies leaning into supporting the person funding them. What do you know? The authors conclude, quote, readers should carefully evaluate whether conclusions in randomized trials are supported by data. Well, look at that. Look at that. A study found that we should question the peer-reviewed science. What do you know? I wonder why they don't want you seeing that today while they scream that you should blindly trust the science. Careful readers with enough time, they said, that includes you, the average person. That's who they're speaking to. This is family doctor medicine, family medicine. It's the Journal of American Board of Family Medicine. They're speaking to the average people here, guys. Careful readers with enough time can sometimes spot discrepancies. Guess what? Between data and conclusions in published studies. 
That is every day right now. We were just talking about this in regard to the one we talked about last time, how the findings were completely contradictory to what their conclusion said. I mean, think about that. And we see it constantly, guys. And I mean, they do it because they can just say the wrong thing and get funding. And this is what they're finding. It's not an opinion. This is happening. It says the editors, peer reviewers, and editorial writers who are trusted to evaluate the accuracy of the analyses are thus often not able to do so. Exactly. Like when, doc, when Dr. Malone said it's unprecedented because it was. They are removing science based on politics. And the, the, they're not trusted to do this job. And we've seen that prove, proven out. Not my opinion, especially for the ones that are then attacked or take the Lancet and the lab discussion, right? They came out with an, a very aggressive push to say, can't talk about it until finally more experts than not came out and said, this was crazy, bad, wrong, dishonest. And here we are with now we're allowed to talk about it. Whether or not it's real. The point is that they actively suppressed a topic and they act like it was scientifically backed. It wasn't. As these funding changes unfolded, along with the drug company's direct funding of an ever greater share of the budget of the Center for Drug Evaluation Research, and we're hearing a lot about, and the FDA that approves new drugs and oversees drug safety, we have seen an accelerating series of prescription drug debacles. We know about this. Pfizer is a very clear example where once this shift happened, guess what? More often than many times, the ones they said were safe turned out to be farthest from the truth. Not even close. Dangerous, in fact. For instance, there was the withdrawal of the diabetes drug, uh, troglithazone, in the United States, suspected as the cause of almost 400 deaths more than two years after it was removed from the British market and the about face on routine hormone replacement therapies after experts, in quotes, had made this a mainstay of routine medical care for postmenopausal women. Now, one thing you should pick out in all of that suspected as the cause of almost 4,400 deaths and removed from the market. That's right, because this was at a time when they remembered or acknowledged that this is a signal system, the yellow card or VAERS. And what they do is signal a problem. They don't prove them and they use the signals to remove them. You know how far past we are from 400 signals of death right now? 20 something thousand? Yeah, just a little bit over that. But they don't look at it now. They pretend like it doesn't matter. So then what does that system matter then? Oh, as a system to be dismissed. Perfect. This is Andy about, oh, we read that one. It says, no class of drugs has suffered so great a reversal of fortune as the COX-2 inhibitors. The, uh, for the podcast, that's COX-2. Most of the pieces of this unfolding saga are now available, providing an informative, informative case study about the extent to which commercial interests can and do distort the scientific evidence that guides our medical decisions. Isn't it amazing how this stuff is just right there in front of you and they're screaming that we're crazy for thinking exactly this right now or even considering it? The actual data from Vigor, Merck's large study of this Vioxx drug, which we've just heard about. Actually, now that I say that, Vioxx, which one was this again? This was the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug. Isn't that interesting? This is the one that's relevant to COVID-19, guys. So the point is, this the study of Vioxx and class, Pharmacia's, now Pfizer's, large study of Celebrex, which this one was, prescription treatment for arthritis, 
It says, have been available on the FDA website since its advisory committee meetings on February 2001. The point is these things have proven to be dangerous since they were said to be safe. Neither drug provides any better relief of arthritis symptoms or pain than much less expensive over-the-counter non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. So first of all, neither of them are even efficacious. That's the reality. That's what they're, this is after the fact. It says in the Vigor study, the people who took 50 milligrams of Vioxx per day developed significantly more serious cardiovascular complications. Guess what? Heart attacks, strokes, blood clots. Sound familiar? Whether or not they had a previous history of cardiovascular disease. Sounds like we've been here before. Pfizer included, by the way, lied, covered up, pushed this, funded these things, and turned out they lied about it. In fact, the highly touted gastrointestinal benefit of Vioxx was actually overshadowed by the increase in cardiovascular harm to patients in this study. Most important, those who took Vioxx developed significantly more serious complications overall. Yeah, sounds familiar. Than those treated with 1,000 milligrams of naproxen per day. In absolute numbers, treating 100 patients with these drugs for one year with Vioxx instead of naproxen led to two and a half times more serious complications. The kind of cause, the kind that caused hospitalization, permanent disability, cancer, or death. So they knew this, covered it up, paid for studies that said the opposite, pushed it out anyway. And guess what? These things are still being used. Think about how crazy that is. But why did American doctors then prescribe $20 billion worth of these drugs after the FDA and the manufacturers knew that they were no safer, no more effective, and cost 7 to 20 times more than generic alternatives? The answer lies in the process by which raw data becomes medical, quote, knowledge. This is exactly what we're seeing today through publication in respected medical journals and incorporations into clinical practice guidelines. And the part they don't include there is then the regurgitation of one part of it from the corporate media. So at this point in time in the conversation in 2005 is when the study comes out, but previous to this, before 2005, they knew this was dangerous. They knew that it increased your risk of blood clots and strokes. They knew that it wasn't even better than what they were saying you should use it for. And guess what? The FDA, all of them, the drug review, they didn't care. And then when they put out the information about this, well, they only put out part of it in the journals, and that's what the corporate media reported on. This is exactly what's happening today. And people are starting to see it. But this is precedent, guys, which means they know this. They probably used the lessons they learned to make it even harder to see today. It says, nonetheless, the article was never retracted by the journals. Now, I'm skipping stuff to, for interest of time, but there's a whole discussion here about, you know, part that went back and forth. And basically, they knew, JAMA knew that this was not full. And they responded and still left it up. They're willing to retract articles today based on politics, but they'll leave up knowingly dangerous and incomplete information because why? Who knows? You ask for yourself. Now, this is, it says, although the New England Journal of Medicine article, reported that patients taking Vioxx who had a previous history of cardiovascular disease were in fact at greater risk of suffering a myocardial infarction, it failed to report that patients who took Vioxx developed significantly more serious thrombotic cardiovascular complications in total. Yeah, exactly where we are today, whether or not they had a previous history of cardiovascular problems. Exactly. All 13 of the authors of this article had financial ties to or were employed by Merck. Yeah, that sounds fair and, and non-conflict of interest, right? 
The New England Journal of Medicine article did report that those who took Vioxx were more likely to suffer myocarditis infarction, but that this risk was, guess what, guys? not statistically significant in those without a previous history, which in fact the exact data, which they go on to discuss in this, proved was not true. And this is at a time when the New England Journal of Medicine knew this, but of course only cared to look at the part that they published and not the full data that they had access to, which is exactly how this works. It is politics, and they know who signs their checks. Now, it's not as simple as that, obviously, but that's how this works. It says, so what are uh, dedicated clinicians to do? Right. And th- what are the honest people out there to do today? It says the first step is to give up the illusion that the primary purpose of modern medical research is to improve Americans health most effectively and efficiently. Let me just say that again. The first step, according to this study in 2005, is to give up the illusion that the primary purpose of any of this medical research is, in fact, to help you. In our opinion, it says from the again, the Journal of American Board on Family Medicine, not some little shabby outlet. Is to, it says, in their opinion, the primary purpose of commercially funded, commercially funded, that's the problem, clinical research is to maximize financial return on investment, not health. Well, gee, where have you heard that before? Anyone honest, I would argue. Although one can make a case that the purpose of an industry is to make a profit and not necessarily to serve the public good, it is difficult to accept this as a justification for the behavior of medical scientists, regulatory agencies. And that's the point I always make. You can't really fault a company for being a company working within the broken rule structure that the government that want to profiteers on that allow them to do, right? You're, you're simply taking allowable, even if it's dishonest, steps. The people that set it up, though, the medical scientists, the regulatory agencies, they are the criminals in all of this, truly. With more than half of the budget for the Center for Drug Evaluation and Research, which we're seeing all over the discussions today, now paid directly by the drug companies. This is 2005. The FDA itself has a conflict in ensuring the safety and effectiveness of the drugs that are prescribed for Americans. Yeah, we sure see that today. Medical journals are ill-equipped to withstand the drug company's financial pressure, research, and statistical capacity, commercial ties with most recognized experts, and lack of transparency in the research they fund. Universities have become dependent on drug money and are also engaging in their own entrepreneurial activities. Most specialty medical societies and large nonprofit health advocacy organizations like the American Heart Association, the Arthritis Foundation and the American Diabetes Association receive a large part of their funding from drug companies. And approximately 70% of physicians in 2005 continuing medical education is now paid by the drug and other medical industries. They're literally paying for doctors to finish their education. I mean, how this is completely co-opted, guys. In the finishing part of this, it says in this highly commercialized environment, How do we sustain the ideals that brought us to family medicine? Yeah, well, too late. You lost, right? That's where we are now. This is gone. Family medicine is not even a blip on the radar in what they're building right now. It says, we now know enough about the limitations of evidence, in quotes, to be much more cautious about what passes for it. Apparently, nobody was paying attention. Perhaps the family medicine journals, individually or in concert, could start sections of their journals for the specific purpose of critically reviewing the results of published trials. And you know if what they if they probably did then and what they would do now? Call them conspiracy theorists and shut them down. That's what you saw RFK pointing out in the beginning. Finally, it says, we family physicians have a professional responsibility to be less naive about the inherent divergence of our patients and the drug company's best interests. 
our patients must come first. If only. This is where we are today, guys. How important is that? Now, again, like I said, quick succession, a couple of the important ones before we go through the overwhelmingly obvious myocarditis collapsing everything discussion. This is from September 16th. This is exactly what we've been screaming about since 2020. Not we know for sure, but that the peer-reviewed science found that antibody-dependent enhancement was a very real risk in any COVID-19 injection in December 2020, before it was even out of trials, guys. And the problem was that they said it needed to be told to anybody to meet informed consent. And guess what happened? Absolutely nothing. So for anybody arguing, trust the science out there, which what it should be is trust the scientific method and question everything. The point is, if you're out there arguing, trust the science, how do you make sense of that? So before we get into this entitled reevaluation of antibody-dependent enhancement of infection in anti-SARS-CoV-2 therapeutic antibodies. Now, what this is talking about is monoclonal antibodies, but they're still taking the antibodies from these people that are supposed to be fighting these things off, and you'll not be surprised what they find. Let's start with the one I've been showing you. December 2020. December 4th, peer-reviewed, March 2021. Informed consent, disclosure to vaccine trial subjects of risk of worsening the disease. In the methods, it says published literature was reviewed to identify preclinical and clinical evidence that COVID-19 vaccines could worsen disease upon exposure to challenge or circulating virus. Okay, simple. You guys have all seen this. The specific and significant COVID-19 risk of antibody-dependent enhancement should have been and should be prominently and independently disclosed. And it basically says people in trials, people recruited for trials, and those who are using the injection in real-world situations, because this was written before it was out, so it said after approval, which is only emergency authorization. But in any case, the point is being used in order to meet the medical ethics standards of patient comprehension for informed consent. Okay, so the fact is they're not doing that. So there is no question they are not meeting the ethical standards for informed consent. End of story. They have not and are not now. How do you make sense of that? You all know because you've been watching this, but somebody's head probably spinning out there if they've never seen this before. The point is, this is very clear. NIH, National Library of Medicine, PubMed, peer-reviewed, hard to miss. What this is simply showing you is that there's a risk of this. Now, what it's saying is that you can get the injection, and then once you go out into the world and you come face-to-face with some kind of natural problem, specifically what they're claiming is COVID-19, that it, in fact, makes it exponentially worse because you got the injection. The exact opposite of what they're arguing. And damn it, if that's not what we're seeing everywhere today, by the way, everywhere, the pandemic of the injected. But that's not even the point in this case. The point is... And again, I always point out how they use the term specific and significant. How often do you see studies get that specific, that exact? It's always that they could do this or potential for that. This is saying this is their specific and significant risk that they need to be informed about or we're not meeting consent, period. Pretty crazy. Now let's go back to, or to the one from the 16th. So here we are again, discussing this from a monoclonal antibody perspective. Here's what it says. A common concern has been the potential for antibody-dependent enhancement of infection caused by inoculated or induced antibodies, right? So what's funny is, oh, it's a common concern, is it? I argue it's not very common amongst the average people that don't know this or watch my show or people that are willing to talk about it. 
How is it a common concern that these injections can cause you to have an exponentially worse problem, and yet it's not very commonly discussed at all anywhere on any corporate media outlet or anybody who is not watching independent media? Because it is common, and it has been there. This is just the controlled conversation. How clear is that? So the point they're saying is the common concern is that these antibodies that are produced by this injection can cause your body to have problems. Now, whether that's because you're producing antibodies that are not the appropriate antibodies or whether it's because of many other things we've discussed of how this can be caused, it's clearly there. Then it says, although the preventative and therapeutic effects of the antibodies are obvious, that's a general sense. They're saying that they can use antibodies like this to create, that's what they use for the blood, uh, like the the monoclonal antibodies or the, the blood they take from uh, convalescent patients, and they can use that to produce antibodies or at least trigger that in somebody's, but that's the argument, right? But it says, although that, that that's obvious, little attention has been paid to the influence of the remaining and dwindling anti-spike protein antibodies in vivo. So there's a few things to point out there. What they're saying is little attention has been given to specifically the the antibodies being produced by these injections, the anti-spike protein antibodies that are left and remaining in your body. So first of all, we know that's very clearly not what they're still pretending is the case. Oh, it's in your shoulder and it does one and it goes away. No, fake news. That's been proven a thousand times over and they're even just casually referencing it. So nobody cares to talk about what happens to all these spike protein antibodies swirling around your body. It says here, we demonstrate that certain monoclonal antibodies approved as therapeutic neutralizing anti-spike protein monoclonal antibodies for human usage have the potential to cause antibody-dependent enhancement in a narrow range of antibody concentrations. So when they take these antibodies and use them in monoclonal antibody treatments, it's causing people to get sick. I mean, this is the most obvious thing in the world. It says, although Sarah collect, and again, it's that obvious in conjunction with the peer-reviewed science that clearly finds this is a problem, whether or not it's using monoclonal monoclonal antibody treatment. But it goes on to say, although Sarah collected, Sarah again being, it describes it here as an amber-colored protein-rich liquid that separates out when blood coagulates. So blood samples, I'm arguing, or samples from your body. Although Sarah collected from mRNA vaccinated individuals exhibited neutralizing activity some Sarah gradually exhibited dominance of antibody-dependent enhancement activity in a time-dependent manner. Now, here's why this is important. Because remember, just because it produces neutralizing activity does not mean it's the right kind of activity. This is why Fauci and the rest started calling it, well, it created a clinical response. Is it the right clinical response? Right? Does it actually produce a response that then actually protects you? Or is it just producing antibodies that we don't know if they're right and that's why it's hurting people? Oh, that's a good question. You know why I know it's a good question? Because it was already asked to the FDA as we played to you before. And then can you repeat the, the second question? I mean, obviously you have a lot of data now. What is your correlative protection is? Everybody's measuring antibodies. They're probably relevant, but as we know... That's a long question. We need a quick answer. <laughs> I would say there is no established correlate of protection. Okay, so they have not established a correlation between the response and the protection they claim you get. That's crazy town. That, that's not old. That's from a reason, or like the one before last FBA, FDA meeting about whether they were going to allow this to be, and they did anyway, despite people protesting. And now again, we've got people, Paul Offit and the other guy's name I'm forgetting, saying they vote no on this and they're still going forward. This is crazy. Absolutely crazy. And I might as well play the other ones that it's short, the fact that they don't know how it works. I don't even know why, how people can even continue to disregard these statements, seeing as how they're so relevant 
And I mean, how do you disregard them saying something like this? How should we think of micrograms in terms of the amount of spike protein that's produced by the cells? Can you kind of clarify that? Obviously, we don't have a complete understanding of the nature of the way that the vaccine works in terms of producing immune response. So we don't know how it makes the response, and we don't know if the response translates to actual help to your body, but just do it anyway, because, you know, danger and stuff. Oh, even though I forgot I was going to play that in the beginning, I'll play it in a minute, even though apparently the pandemic's over, didn't you hear? I guess Biden got confused and said, the pandemic's over, guys, it's over. <laughs> guess what? But take the new shots, because you're in danger, though, <laughs> is the next question, the next statement, right? It's over, but take the next thing, because we're going to die, right? Anyway, going forward. None of the Sera examined exhibited neutralizing activity against Omicron. Well, look at that, right? Okay, so you're taking people's antibodies and, and you're testing them in monoclonal treatments. And, oh, guess what? None of them even doing anything. They're not having any neutralizing activity at all against Omicron. Maybe that's why they're all the ones dying and being hospitalized and spreading it. Gee, maybe. I mean, think about how crazy that is. And don't forget that the Omicron weird Botswana introduction, who knows how or why that happened, and no one wants to explain or question why the four diplomats were the ones that came over into Botswana from somewhere, and that's what started Omicron. Something's going on there. But the bottom line, the bottom line is it's very different, obviously. Now, maybe that was somebody, I mean, I don't even want to theorize. The point is, it's not helping. So now they're going to give you a new shot, they claim, and a new injection. They're still pretending are boosters. And still use the thing against the original and another one. And none of them apparently are even effective in neutralizing against Omicron. But here, take this new thing anyway. Remember, Gert Van den Bosch is the one saying it's only going to wildly exacerbate the problem only for those that have taken injections. Seems like he's right. Funny how they trust the science, don't they like to ignore half the science. Rather, some antibody-dependent enhancement of Omicron infection was observed. So they saw when they gave them these the, the treatment that these people developed antibody-dependent enhancement in regard to Omicron. These results suggest the possible emergence of adverse effects caused by these antibodies, not the monoclonal treatment, but the antibodies produced by these injections in addition to the therapeutic or preventative effects that they create in regard to something. The point is in Omicron, it's not working at all, right? I don't believe any of this even makes sense or overlaps. I think we're being lied to in aggressive ways as I've been saying for a long time. Oops, I didn't mean to do that. In any case, read this for yourself. It's all been there. It's always been there. And they're trying to hide this from you. I mean, you can't ignore this stuff. You can't scream, trust the science, and then act like this is not peer-reviewed science that no one's even brought up outside of, I mean, I don't know. If any, I don't, you guys tell me. Who else has even brought this up? Now, finally, before we're going to come back to this at the end, so please stay tuned. This is important. And it overlaps with the Great Reset discussion. As Nikita points out, quote, potentials for misuse in regard to the mRNA platform arise from the encoding of complete virus genomes to launch an infection without the need for physical access to the virus, as well as from encoding toxic proteins, you know, like a spike protein, and delivery through already established routes. Look at that. New mRNA platforms make delivery more accessible, right? Well, there's also a possibility of using. So basically, it seems to suggest, and I'll go through this. You can see the document for yourself. Genes of monoclonal antibodies can be encoded in the, in the RNA and thus eliminate concerns on their modifications and artifacts from their production. Potentials for misuse arise from the encoding of complete virus genomes to launch an infection without the need for physical access to the virus 
I mean, that that needs to be ringing bells for everybody about whether this was ever isolated, whether it was even really there, as well as from encoding toxic proteins and delivery through an already established route. While this was also possible using plasmids, the new mRNA platforms make delivery much more accessible. Now, the reason I don't want to get into it now is because I want to come back to this and overlap with the end discussion. But that is important to understand how this mRNA platform part of this is being used and will be used, in my opinion, to create this situation that I think is incredibly important. Let me close some stuff real quick. So real quickly, so you guys can see it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you this, which is the document that somebody shared. Spies, I believe, or spies convergence. As it says, oops, went back on accident. Spies laboratory, it says, it's spies laboratory, the Swiss Federal Institute for NBC Protection. And that's... Uh, nuclear, biological, and chemical, is a division of the Federal Office for Civil Protection. We provide services relating to arms control, protection measures, health, and incident management for international organizations, authorities, and the general population. And here's the document, specifically from September 2021. And you can see that they get into all this discussion we're going to go over in a minute increases the potential for accidents as well as for technology misuse. We're talking about exactly what you think. mRNA platforms and the direction we're discussing, and it gets pretty damn disconcerting. But the overlap perfectly ties in with the discussion we just had about, you know, farming Americans for the bioeconomy and how this mRNA platform may be setting something up in exactly that way. So stay tuned to the end because we're going to get to it. I'm going to try to go through this stuff pretty quickly, but... Oh, what did I... Hold on. Sorry, guys. I closed too many things. Shoot. Oh, no, I didn't. Right there. Okay. So we'll come back to this. But so we're going to start off today as we're talking about the, not start off, but in the next segment, I should say, <laughs> start off, get into the idea of how they're trying to downplay in a weird way the COVID-19 discussion, but at the same time, trying to transition you into the next phase. That's what I talked about the other day as the, it ushers in the next part of this. For some reason, I'm making sure I feel like I missed something. Okay, now make sure I didn't miss this stuff. Now, here is NPR. Scientists debate. Oh, I did lose a bunch of stuff in here, though. Oh, well. Scientists debate how lethal COVID is. Some say it's now less risky than flu. And it's just so funny how ridiculous this is to where this is this disjointed back and forth where we're not allowed to even ask the question, you know, free speech, except for that one, though. You can't talk about that one because that's dangerous. It's just so childish. But now, because they want you to consider this or because they want you to consider flu, as I argue, it's going to become something more concerning, as they're saying, oh, no, nation warned to brace for difficult flu season, right? Health experts are warning the nation to brace for what could be an exceptionally severe flu season, as more people who have not built up immunity over the last few years Oh, yeah, you know, the same thing they've said the last three years in a row, right? Except it hasn't happened. Why? Because they're stealing flu and pneumonia to, to, to bolster the numbers for COVID, right? They've even admitted to this to some degree. The point is, now this one, this one might be the one. And maybe it's going to be a new flu variant. Maybe that's how this continues. Who ultimately knows? But the point is that they're now discussing the thing. Now you can talk about it. Go ahead, guys. Now you can ask the question. And now all the quasi-independents are going to be out there going, oh, that last on the flu, because they're going to, now they're allowed to ask these questions, right? Don't, don't miss that. At certain people, certain times, now they can talk about it. But it says, has COVID-19 become no more dangerous than the flu for most people? <gasps> oh, no. 
That's a question that scientists are debating as the country heads into a third pandemic winter. Oh, that's what it was. How did I miss that? Hold on a second. Here, I'm just going to play it really quickly because I know I have it. uh, uh, Biden apparently telling you that everything's over. We're all good now. President, first Detroit auto show in three years. Yeah. Is the pandemic over? The pandemic is over. We still have a problem with COVID. We're still doing a lot of work on it. Uh, It's But the pandemic is over. Right. Okay, so pandemic's over. So I'm just going to go home then, guys. We're all good. It's over. No more, right? (laughs) Like, I mean, it's it's silly and ridiculous for him to act like that just because, oh, it's over now. I said so, right? Well, here's the funny part. So this is, that's, he said that, right? But here we are still going, the questions of scientists are debating as the country heads into its third pandemic winter. I guess they didn't get the memo, right? Or the idea like this, this is clearly always going to be a pandemic. It just, it's never going to go away because now we're just in the, the post-pandemic pandemic phase, right? Or whatever they call it. The real question we should be asking guys, whether he's a, you know, a senile slip or not, Okay, so no longer in the pandemic. We're not now. It's no, the pandemic's over. Let's be clear about the terminology. Pandemic's over, right? Which would very clearly argue we're no longer in an emergency. You can't be over the pandemic but still be in an emergency, right? Okay, so then what happens to the emergency use authorizations? Oh, that's an interesting little catch, right? So you can't have an emergency authorization for a drug if you're not in an emergency let alone the fact that you've got arguably on the shelf but never been put out or even made, arguably, approved injections on the shelf, Comirnaty, spike backs, as well as approved alternatives, they claim as, as Paxlovid that doesn't work for anybody under 65, apparently, or even ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine, all these different things. But guess what? They're still emergency authorized, and they're still forcing them on people. Still right now, and even in colleges or, or, or in places in, um, I think it was New York, are still firing people for not taking the injections. How in the world can you claim it's not legal in any sense of the word? If it's over, like he said, or even past the pandemic phase, as Fauci said, you can't have an emergency. But they'll bend over backwards and make mental gymnastics about this for the rest of our lives to pretend like that's enough. Long COVID is enough to keep this going or whatever they want to say, even though that hasn't been proven. But pandemic winter is coming, guys. Dark winter, right? Early in the pandemic, COVID was estimated to be 10 times more than the, the flu. Yeah, you know what they leave out of that part? That it was proven even by their own discussions to not be true. But they just, that, that's not important, right? It was estimated to be 10 times more lethal, lethal than the flu. Dot, dot, dot. But that was proven to be false, even by the people that put it out. Oops, they just leave that out. Like, how do you miss how gross these people are? They do not care about informing you. They care about selling you on what they think is the truth or the narrative they want to tell you about. That's not, that is propaganda even if they believe it's in some better, higher interest. It was not 10 times more lethal than the flu. It was not going to kill the people that Neil Ferguson lied to you about. And it it wasn't relative risk. It was absolute risk reduction was the reality. But it goes on to say, we have all been questioning, when does COVID look like influenza? Gandhi and other researchers argue that most people today have enough immunity gained from vaccination, infection, or both to protect them against getting seriously ill from COVID. Well, guess what? Again, they continue to conflate the idea that getting vaccinated and and after getting sick somehow makes it better. It doesn't. Every study that's come out is showing you that if you get injected and then get sick, it makes it worse. Or if you get sick and then get the injection, we've seen all sorts of overlaps. I shouldn't say every single one, but the one, the peer-reviewed science that's continued, the body of evidence is very clear. 
to be honest, I haven't even seen any that argue that the ones they say this bolsters and gets better aren't the, I've gone over in past shows and shown you why they're not sound. Even in, these are like observational discussions, but in any case, it says, so unless a more virulent variant emerges, of course, always leaving the door open for tomorrow when they go, Oh, the new thing, you're all going to die. Go back to lockdown. COVID's menace has diminished considerably for most people, they say, which means that they can go about their daily lives. Oh, thank you. Thank you for the permission. In a way that you used to live with endemic seasonal flu. Oh, okay. So you can't go. It's not over. It won't ever be over. It's just going to be the future of endless boosters based on the idea that we guess at what the new thing is. But it's not like seasonal flu because you're not using the same thing. You're using an mRNA genetic manipulative tool. That's what this is. And it's not safe with the spike protein, with the mRNAs. Uh, mRNA or with the nanolipid particles. None of those things are shown to be safe and they all continue to have problems. But yeah, just the flu, right? That's what they want you to take from this. We're going to get into the flu cycle. But it says, but there's plenty of differing views on the topic. While the threat from COVID-19 may be appearing the peril, approaching the peril the flu poses, skeptics doubt it's hit that, doubt it's hit that point yet. I'm sorry, I just disagree. Can you guess who said that, guys? Take a guess. Dr. Anthony Fauci, Mr. Fauci, come in and say, no, you're all going to die still, I promise. The severity of one compared to the other is really quite stark. And the potential to kill of one versus the other. Yeah, well, you're still broad stroking everything into this, saying anybody, and it even gets into that in this article. I'll give NPR credit for that. That they're talking about how they're sweeping in everything under the sun. And that's, look at how many people died. Well, guess what? It's not clear. In fact, you know that's not clear. And you still pretend like the big gigantic number you point at is all COVID all the time. They have admitted that's not true. COVID is still killing hundreds of people per day, which means more than 125,000 additional COVID deaths can occur over the next 12 months. That's, that's Fauci saying. COVID has already killed more than 1 million Americans. No, it hasn't. It simply has not. And this has been proven. And even NPR has the courage to point that out. And I will give them the credit for that. Because this is not what they're supposed to say next. By the way, it says, a bad flu season kills 50,000. No, it doesn't. <laughs> and this is the point that even the WHO and HHS and plenty of others pointed out back in 2005 to 10 that they lied about this. They conflated pneumonia with the flu. In the case where they argue 50, 60,000 deaths a year, they could only prove something like 200 cases of the flu. Most of it was pneumonia. They had to admit this. And they also removed the idea of the pandemic being death. And that's why they can call things pandemic. We've seen all of this. In any case, it says COVID is much more serious than influenza, Fauci says. Well, guess what they say next? Debating the way the deaths are counted. The debate over COVID's mortality rate hinges on what counts as a COVID-19 death. Well, look at that. Like, this is the deconstruction of, or the demolishing of the narrative. Like, you're not supposed... This was censored when we say it. Gandhi and other researchers argue that the daily death toll attributed to COVID, which Fauci's pointing at, is exaggerated because many deaths blamed on the disease are actually from other causes. Well, what do you know? That's a Dr. Uh, uh, Le- um, Henry, but I'm forgetting his last name all of a sudden, pointed out that they, they altered the way that these the comorbidities go down. Right. The point is, if you change how you're documenting these things from where if it's a comorbidity, it always goes down as such. And the cause of death is the if you go in for if you're having a heart attack and you go in and get tested for covid, it goes down as a heart attack. Today, if you go in with a heart attack and get tested for covid while you're there, it goes down as a covid death. If you go in with a car accident and get tested and you say you have covid with a faulty PCR test, faulty in the sense they're using it, that goes down as covid. They've admitted all of this. That's exactly what they're pointing out right here. Why they think that's fair to say that's all COVID for your best interest is not honest. They know it's a manipulative tool. 
And the fact that they changed that right before this started makes it even more obvious. But it says some of the people who died for other reasons happen to also test positive for COVID. Exactly. They get in a car accident. They, they claim they test positive for COVID. They don't circle back and test it again. They're gone already. It says, quote, we are now seeing consistently more than 70% of our COVID hospitalizations in that category, says Dr. Shira Doran. This is in response to what Fauci said. Fauci goes, you're all dying, more people than you know, whatever his narrative was. We're all still in danger. It's all super more dangerous than the flu. But she comes up and says 70% of what we're saying is that problem is actually in the category of people that have other issues that are being told they have COVID. 70%. Don't forget in the very beginning, it was something like 96% of all people they claim died from COVID had over three comorbidities. That's how that works. But it says uh, uh, this Dr. Doran is an infectious disease specialist at the Tufts Medical Center and a professor at the school. Quote, if you're counting them all as hospitalizations or deaths for that matter, and then the people die, or excuse me, I'm ruining your point. If you're counting them all as hospitalizations and then they die in hospital and you count them as COVID deaths, you're pretty dramatically overcounting. Fauci doesn't care about that. That's just basic logic. If deaths were classified more accurately, then the daily death toll would be closer to the toll of flu tail. Well, look at that. So if we didn't do that lie, it'd be pretty much the flu, I would argue, dramatically less. So how can we still pretend like this is different? If this is true, the odds of a person dying if they get COVID infection, what's what's called the case fatality rate, which is not the way you do this, would be about the same as the flu, which is estimated to be around 0.1 or perhaps even lower. And we know it's lower than that because even the John's uh, the Oxford calculator proves that. Even their own data proves that. We are in the midst of this swirling, nonsensical discussion where they just only narrative is holding us together. Narrative and shoestrings and popsicle sticks. It's about to fall apart right now. It says in a new report from the CDC published Thursday, researchers attempted to filter out other deaths and analyze mortality rates. Yeah, I'm sure they really care about that now. They find the death rate has dropped significantly. What do you know? When we, when we remove our false narrative, everything goes back down. But Fauci argued it's difficult to distinguish between... Of course he did. That's what he, he literally says this in, in, in response to that. It's difficult to distinguish between deaths that are caused because of and those with. No, it's not. It's only difficult because you changed this before COVID started. It was never difficult before 2019. Now, suddenly, it's difficult because you alter definitions like you've done 30 times since it started. What's the difference with someone who's had a mild congestive heart failure, goes into the hospital and gets COVID, and then dies from congestive heart failure? He asks, that's Fauci, is that with COVID or because, I'll tell you, Fauci is a stupid question. It's not with, it, it's with COVID. They died from congestive heart failure. If you go into the hospital with heart failure and they get a PCR test that is rife with false positives and they say you have it and you die the next day, are you really going to pretend that COVID caused that? At the very least, historically, you go with what they came in. That, that's the point. They changed it after COVID. In any case. There was other points in there, but I'm going to go past it because I don't have it highlighted. That's how ridiculous this is. But get ready, get ready for the new flu season. That's they're, they're priming you for it right now. We'll see what happens. But here is Professor Peter Doherty writing uh, and pointing out from theconversation.com. Unlike flu, SARS-CoV-2 gets into the blood and infects cells throughout the body. Are you talking about SARS-CoV-2 or the vaccine? It's also a clotting disease with strokes. Oh, I think it's the vaccine. Imagining COVID is like the flu is cutting thousands of lives short. It's time to wake up, he says, and references the conversation, which says, imagining COVID like the flu is 
cutting. Same thing he says. Time to wake up. Well, that's interesting. Well, this whole statement here about what SARS-CoV-2 does, it's really overlapping with what you're seeing the injections do that are then being called COVID. But we do know that there is, the point is the spike protein does have these effects and that's why the injection is so dangerous in one specific way. But here's the point I want to make. It, like, it, I would even argue for the, for the the best honest way to go about this, take that at face value and accept that that's possible. But then realize that what you're overlapping with that is that the injections are dramatically more dangerous. But then realize that even if that is possible, the risk is so incredibly low, as we just saw from actually having these things happen, hospitalization or death, which is the point. So it doesn't matter what you're pointing at, clot, heart stroke, heart stroke, heart attack. The point is it has to lead to hospitalization and then or death. And that is not happening because the risk is less than the flu for most people. That's the reality. So why is he pointing this out then? Well, I have one thought, and that's something that was shared with me by uh, Doe here, Do. He writes, the normalization of cardiac issues in youth is brought to you by the Gates Foundation. Trace the conversations, primary funders. Well, thank you for pointing this out. Do I point it? I appreciate it. First of all, September 15th. What do you know? Stroke. Young people can have them too. Why would you even write this article at a time right now when you're so aggressively trying to shout down people that are pointing at the injections or causing a thing you told us they could cause in children? And then you point that if they go fake news, even though you just said it could happen and anytime you point at it happening, you still call it fake news because that makes sense, right? And then you write an article going, strokes can happen in kids totally unrelated to the vaccine. That is so obvious, it pains me. How to know if you're at risk? No, of course it can happen, but we're not talking about a kid that's got a heart problem. We're talking about kids that have a stroke that no one can understand why it happened that gets categorized as sudden infant death or sudden adult death syndrome, which means that by definition, those categories mean you don't know what happened. That's their definition for those categories. So if you don't know what happened, how can you argue you know that it's something that can happen to kids? This is crazy. But the point to make here is not the article itself. First of all, just the gaslighting to cover up something very clearly possible, but that it's by the conversation. Well, thank you for pointing this out, Do Here is the conversation's founding partners page. You have to come down here to the strategic partners. Interesting, strategic partners. And you know what the only one is? the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Now, I'm not saying that proves that they're lying to you, but it is being influenced. That's what that's what RFK Jr. is pointing out. That's what a lot of people are pointing out about. That's what this discussion in the beginning was pointing out. The study, right? That that's or the, about how these things get co-opted, whether it's media or research institutions. Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is a, the only strategic partner of the, of the conversation, which, by the way, I find it interesting is not listed on this page. Oh, you know what? Never mind. I missed it. It's right there. <laughs> it's all the way at the bottom. It's weird that it's the one. This is very, it almost doesn't even, that's, that's my fault. So anyway, the point is that they're actively trying to write stuff that undermines the question that you should ask. Not that we're saying for sure, but the question, could it be in caused? Of course it could. That's not even a question because they've admitted these injections can. One in a billion, call it what you want. It's not, it's way more than that, but take their narrative can cause a stroke, can cause myocarditis. Okay. So then when you say, could that have caused a stroke in that young boy and you get attacked, censored, conspiracy theory, it's the same point I just made. I just don't know how you can take that stance. If it's possible, then it clearly has to be possible. So you clearly are allowed to say, could it be, but not on Twitter. How telling is that? What we're seeing here is an effort to whitewash this. Now you've got ads running in New York, normalizing the idea 
of myocarditis, specifically the thing, the vaccine that everybody seems to know can be caused by this vaccine. One in 3,000, one in 5,000, way more than we've ever thought was possible. It's totally not that though, right? It's totally something else. And we're going to normalize that by making commercials for it on TV. I've been into fashion since I can remember. But one day I had a stomach ache so bad I didn't want to do anything. The team at New York Presbyterian said it was actually my heart. It was severely swollen. Something called myocarditis. But doctors gave me medicines and used machines to control my heartbeat. They saved me. So now I can become the next great fashion designer. Yuck. Right. So nothing to do with the vaccine at all, right? It's just normal because kids get myocarditis all the time, right? No, they don't. That's the problem with this whole discussion is that it's so painfully obvious that they're ignoring the one stat they used to push in the very beginning. Whatever was more than the average from previous years. We are so far past that right now. Whether you even want to just call it all SADS. Look at what the the stats from SADS were from before, which again, is just a catch-all for unknown causes. So if SADS was a number, and now today or 2021, 2022 are exponentially more, you can't just keep ignoring that. You can even argue, fine, not the vaccine, then you damn well better prove what it is, or at least allow people to have open conversations since you just admitted you don't know what's causing it, which therefore means it could be the vaccine. You have to acknowledge that. But as we see them shut down that one conversation, it's obvious at the very least, a huge red flag that they don't want you asking about that one thing, even though they've admitted it can cause the thing they just said it didn't do. Here's a sad cartoon, by the way, but it's perfectly spot on from Bob Moran showing up for the podcast, a whole grouping of people standing with their backs to a child with a syringe dead on the ground while they're watching the Queen's procession, which, of course, was aggressively used to manipulate everybody. There's all sorts of conversations, valid, by the way, about whether the Queen died a while ago and they waited for an opportune moment to use it, which I don't know why anybody would balk at today, but, of course, conspiracy theory is an easy way for people to discount anything they don't want to consider. But that's where we are right now, whether it's the Queen's funeral or anything. It's being used to hide this. And even if it's nothing, for crying out loud, people are just going to stand there and ignore what's happening because they don't want to see it in some cases. But as Dr. James E. Olson points out, this is just since Saturday, posted on the 14th of September, by the way, a 17-year-old cross-country runner, Gabe, died of a heart attack, survived, or excuse me, didn't die, had a heart attack, survived. 17-year-old golfer, heart attack or blood clot, died. 10-year-old football player, died. Cause of death, not disclosed. All across the board, we're seeing this stuff. This is just in a few days. The person points out, it used to be pretty rare for high school athletes to drop dead suddenly. There sure seems to be a lot of them in short succession. The p-value of the null hypothesis that this is happening by chance is getting awfully low. This person, this is why I wanted to show you this. Were you just as concerned in 2019? Pointing at some ridiculous post claiming this is all we've seen. That apparently, okay, here, this is the craziest part about this. This person is so quick to shout this down and they have no idea about the breadth of the conversation. This person is pointing at 1, 2, 3, 4, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. 10 people. Just in football that died in 2019. Do you realize there's been more football than, than 10 in just football, in just the United States, in just, or I mean, even just take it, even just in children. There has been more, and that's because that's kind of my focus in today, just, just in children. In just the last so many weeks, 
then right there, I mean, it's it's painful to me. You can prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that the actually, I think I have one right here on that one. Hold on. Weird. Anyway, I'm not going to try to find it. I in these in the in both these shows, which I'm going to include today, that I've shown before. This one from November 11th, this one from November 8th, and this one from June 21st, 2022. All about the collapsing athlete discussion. And with a FIFA study, an NIH study, showing you that what we've seen, provably, of just people that have collapsed from cardiac arrest, not because of the injection, which is a point we need to get to, but just having those collapses is more than they've ever seen before in history. So many, so many times more. It's incredible. The FIFA study was a six-year study, I believe. The NIH study was a 10-year study. And the point is the numbers they're seeing in the six and 10-year studies, we're already seeing more than that just in 2021, just in 2022. That's a provable fact. That's my point. I'm not going to rehash this all again today. I've gone through it in each one of these shows, and it's only got worse. So if your argument is to point at this many kids, you're making my point for me. There, we've seen more than that. And by the way, they're going, there's brain aneurysms. We're not even talking about that. We're talking about just cardiac arrest. And yes, that's exactly the point. It is so far past what we saw in 2019 that it's, it's it alarming doesn't even do it justice. So you can argue it's not the injection, but you have to acknowledge there's a catastrophic problem. And then, of course, consider the idea or ask why we've seen excess death explode in all these locations. Ask why we've seen all these baffling neurological problems. Ask why we've seen an explosion of sudden adult death syndrome. Yeah, all of it is painting an obvious picture. But because this person is pointing at a tweet, were you just concerned then? It's insulting. Because they just don't know. But you can watch it for yourself. Now, this is one of the sites they love to shout down. Now, I will admit that good sciencing, which I was look, pointing out from the very beginning, has broadened out. And good for them for doing so. They're including more and more, and all they do is use that as a way to shout, oh, this person over here died from something else. They're including that too. The bottom line is, as it is now, 1,350 athletes, cardiac arrests, serious issues, 919 of them dead since COVID injection. That is it. Not that they necessarily died because of the injection, but all of these people, since the COVID injections began, it's undeniable. That number is catastrophically higher than anything we've ever seen before. But because it's not the injection they claim, which I truly believe it is, but whether or not it is, they just dismiss the whole thing, just like theirs. 20,000 deaths. Ah, we don't know for sure. So don't even talk about it. That's willful discussion, obfuscation, willful ignorance. Now, here's just a couple of examples. We just talked about two different Queens guards collapsing. No, fake news, because they're tired. Okay, even though it's their entire job, hundreds of people collapsed. And this is this is how obvious this is. You get any grouping of people where they're forced to wait in open along somewhere where people are filming, viewing, this is what you see. Just like every time there's a concert, it seems. You have like 14 people that collapse or go to the hospital. Oh, who knows? It's COVID or somebody was poking them with jabs of, of, of fentanyl or whatever their arguments are that nobody can prove. Everywhere you see groupings, we keep seeing this. And yet we still pretend like we have no clue. You're fake news. You're conspiracy theorists. And what they argue when they say that is we're claiming we know for sure. I know I'm not. I'm simply arguing that this is so obviously overlapped with what we're talking about that we're not, and we're not even allowed to ask the question, even though you admit that it can cause these kind of things. Look at Tiffany Dover for crying out loud. The very first person, oh, she had some weird problem and fell over. Except, well, how do you explain the other 40,000 people that fell over after that? 
Hundreds of people have collapsed in a queue to see the late queen's coffin. This is so stark an example. Ambulances have attended to hundreds of people, hundreds, fainting and collapsing in the queues for the queen. No one even tries to explain why. The ambulance service said it and partner agencies had to care for 435 patients. My God, 435 patients who fell ill, they claim, along the lying in state queuing route and surrounding areas by the end of Thursday. The lying in state opened, that, I guess that's the art statement for the queen, at 5 p.m. on Wednesday, when 291 patients required help from the paramedics. On one day, 291 people passed out. Now, I shouldn't say passed out, fell over. And they even called it ill. And 17 of them went to the hospital. My guys, if 17 people fell over and went to the hospital, that would be crazy. 291 in one day and 17 went to the hospital and we're acting like there's no problem here? On Thursday, a further 144 people fell ill. That's what their term is. Of people, of whom 25 went to the hospital. The trust, oh, dang it. Son of a gun. The trust has confirmed, it says. Where were we? Right here. Oh, they. this just changed. Great. Now I don't even know what they took away or changed. You, you guys just saw it. Scroll back. This paragraph was where I was. That's not the same paragraph. My God, I can't stand how dishonest on the surface everything is today. Whatever. So on Thursday, a further 144 people fell ill, of whom 25 went to the hospital. And tr- the trust confirmed. The ambulance services, maybe it didn't. I Man, who cares? The ambulance services said the majority of the incidents attended were faints and collapses, some of which resulted in head injuries. Right. So why do they all fall? What, 400 people pass out? Wasn't hot. Medics urged those planning to join the queues that could stretch for hours to bring appropriate clothing. Oh, I guess they just wore the wrong shirt. That's why. That's it. I, I mean, that. how do you ignore something like that? And we saw, and this is in conjunction with everything else, the collapsing athletes, the collapsing people, the collapsing children, everything. This is painful. Here's another example of how they're covering this up in a very, very important way, by the way, because it's not, this seems like a coordinated effort to a very important page. Under that tweet I just showed you, Andy points out there's a Facebook group called Died Suddenly that has literally gone from 20,000 to 275,000 in a week or in a few weeks. People sharing similar stories. So people chiming in saying, this is what happened. My dad died suddenly or so on and so on. Nothing on the news about it, right? Well, guess what? Here's Daily Skeptic pointing out, BBC boasts it got vaccine injured support group with 250,000 members removed. Yeah, they're boasting about this. Yeah, we got them removed because they're telling their stories. Here's their page. Anti-vax groups use carrot emojis to hide Facebook posts. You know what's great about this part? Guess what they just exposed? They don't care, by the way, but guess what they just exposed by showing that? One, that they're colluding with Facebook, with Facebook to remove people. That's obvious today. But two, they're removing people who aren't breaking the rules. Right. So this is the idea about the 9-11 discussion. You know, they're, they're not breaking the rule. They found ways to, to circumvent the Okay, fine. So you, so you set a standard of rules. They don't break those rules. But now you go, oh, well, the carrot means vaccine. So we're going to, that's what they really mean. How do you possibly know that? 
I'm sure it's pretty clear in some cases, but how about you don't know that for sure? And how about if they're not breaking the rules, you guys just keep moving the barrier until you include them to break. This is how stupid it is. It's these people colluding to stop you and ideas and conversations, not specific rules being broken. That's gone now. They just, they're targeting certain concepts and only certain people that talk about those concepts, right? Because people who want to talk about this discussion and talking about these people with these posts, but from a framing of anti-vaxxing, well, of course you can talk about it. If you can use carrot posts, you can say vaccine all day long. You can even literally quote exactly what they say with no context, as long as you have an account that generally attacks people like that. That's okay. But the same thing in reverse. I was talking about this with Richard, uh, Richard Grove. The same thing in reverse. You could do the same exact tweet and quote the same exact thing, but if you're known for being an anti-vaxxer in their mind, they'll censor you and because you can't say that thing. So what's the difference exactly? Context. They decided. You can't say it, but he can. That's where we are today. So they go, yay, we got them removed as they're discussing what you, with your propaganda, tricked them into doing. Here's Jamie Sale pointing something out that this, this, is, this is just a snippet of the ongoing died suddenly kind of reality. 30-year-old actress and model. We talked about her. Uh, Canadian chief, uh, excuse me, it's going pretty fast. Uh, Charlie B. Dean dies suddenly of illness. Canadian chief of emergency medicine, Olympic sailor, dies suddenly, age 36. Netflix star, Boosie, dies suddenly, age 36. Now, of course, some of these could just be random, right? But why isn't anybody asking these questions? This is more than the average we've ever seen. So More than the average is an unfair way of saying this. This is catastrophic, and they're just ignoring it. 33-year-old police officer dies suddenly, unexpectedly. Cleveland Guardians player, age 20, cause of death not disclosed. Why would that be? 49-year-old high school principal dies suddenly. 26-year-old neurosurgery, neurosurgery resident dies in July, making seven Canadian doctors to die in two weeks, which I don't, I'm still not recognizing why that correlative point is more important than the athletes or anything else, just the doctors, but I pointed that out then. Except for the case where they're all in the same hospital. 49-year-old Detroit Tigers, first base coach, suddenly collapses and dies. 31-year-old British actor Sam Gannon dies suddenly. Ohio medical student dies suddenly due to heart issue. Three-day bike ride, cancer research. Famous bodybuilder dies suddenly, age 46. 41-year-old father from Sydney. You, you get the point, guys. It goes on and on and on. I, I even see people do the search for die suddenly, 2021. I mean, it went from tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands to millions right now. You could argue it's a, the coverage of it, sure, but you just can't miss the reality. The data is there, and they're plugging their ears and stomping their feet. Here's a really sad example, by the way, and I have to show it to you like this because stupid Facebook won't let you do it unless I'm not, I don't like to sign in. Like, just, you know, my status, but it, unless you're Facebook is one of the most weirdly controlled platforms right now. You can't even share from there out of the platform. Like, like I don't even know where to copy the links half the time unless it's the URL. That's my problem is I don't want to sign in. So it won't let you look at it. any case. Here's the post from Stephanie Foster. Her beautiful, my, my beautiful mother's life was taken yesterday by the COVID booster shot. She was happy and perfectly healthy. Spent yesterday morning visiting her at her house up until the appointment time. She left for her appointment happy and energetic. She had no medical issues at all. Her mom texted her right after she got the shot to let her know she was waiting 15 minutes and texted her back. It was right after that that they say she dropped dead before she hit the floor in the shopper's drug market. Mart. That is what the doctors had told us. This never should have happened. 
had they known what they were shooting into us. My mom should still be here. It just breaks my heart, guys. You can see you can see in the post itself, wait in the 15 minutes, LOL. Good job, clapping, thanks. Smiley face with the glasses. Totally fine. No health issues. Looks very vibrant. Drop dead within that 15-minute period. And how much you want to bet they still didn't put it down as a death. Even though it's in the 15-minute period, they claim it's supposed to be... This is painful. Do you know? I mean, I can't even... I, I, I don't want to dwell on this. I don't even know what I would do if this was my family. I mean, it just makes me sick. And th- this is happening. I don't care if you think it's 1%, 10%, 100%. It's happening. And yet, no matter what, when you talk about it, you're a conspiracy theorist. That's the error that they've created. Peter Sweden points out something weird's happening and the media isn't telling you about it. Excess deaths are through the roof with a 100, 1,101% increase among children aged 0 to 14 in Europe. That's a fact. He pro- I already proved this last time I pointed it out. Birth rates have collapsed all over the world at the same time and nobody seems to know why. What's going on? He knows. He's just point- stating it in a way that should be taken as objective and it is. They'll still try to censor him for it. Remember when we locked down to prevent deaths? Now there, now there was over 10,000 non-COVID-related excess deaths in Europe in just one week alone. Nobody's talking about it. Read it. He wrote about it right here. It, this is the biggest criminal cover-up and the worst criminal cover-up I think I've ever seen in my life. Now, while all that's happening, here's the kind of commercial propaganda they're still pushing out to your children, to your family, to anybody. As I said, I hope this is alarming and unsettling as to everyone else as it is to me. Even if you agree with what you're about to see, can you not see how gross and manipulative it is? This is what propaganda actually looks like, guys. And it should not be happening. Even if you agree with it, this kind of thing is not, this is off, this is, I don't want to say unprecedented because it's happened in a lot of different ways, but this should not be allowed because this is selling, just like we saw with the study. This is propaganda companies and their money, or rather pharmaceutical, same thing, pharmaceutical companies and their money pushing you on the idea that this is the right thing to do, even at a time when we are still clearly, the narrative is still squeaking around the cracks from what they're even talking about. From the corporate media. If you watch independent media, you already know what's going on. It's vaccination day. It's vaccination day. It's vaccination day. Today I get my COVID jab And I'm feeling really fab For months I have been waiting for this day Masked up with my team to smash back the disease And we dreamed about the day that we'd have a vaccine Yeah, now that human-made miracle is finally here Time to take a shot It's Megan Thee Stallion Ariana Grande And Jimmy Fallon Y'all know what time it is it's time to get those boosters. Hey, in real life, you need to vax that thing. You're feeling freaky all night. You need to vax that thing. Nah, nah, nah. If you want to get sticky and hot, go, 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 uh, go get the shot. Grab your syringe, but make sure you're clean. I'm sick and it me like you really, really need a It's gentle sex to a knocking Vaccine, vaccine, feel like it's a vaccine. Vaccine, you come for vaccine. Yeah, staying alive is a little too on the nose for me. Everybody, it's time to vaccinate. 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 Vaccinate.
All over the world, guys. No more cutting your own hair now. Vaccines on its way. Oh, 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 got the vaccine and it's being stupid. All over the world. Right? I mean, how can you possibly... Just like everything else in lockstep, right? I mean, it's just that plainly obvious. I mean, that's gross. That's disgusting. What they're pushing there is straight up propaganda. It should it should be simply this is available should you choose to think it's necessary. And you can scream and sell all you want about why you think it's necessary from like the CDC posting on their website. They know people know where they want it to look if they want to go find it. That is about convincing you you need something that you clearly don't need, even at a time when they he just said the pandemic's over. How's that work? Well, guess what, guys? Here's why experts believe the new Omicron booster, which they're still stupidly calling it, even though they were chastised, will work. Right. Cool. This is Here's why we believe it will work. This is from the 16th of September. This is so painful for me. Here's what it says. Study, a study published September 16th in the New England Journal of Medicine which, by the way, we just talked about how this, why these kind of things happen, makes a strong case for an Omicron-based COVID-19 booster shot. So, so that's, it's, it's all corporate-funded, commercially-funded nonsense. So what it says there, a study came out that makes a good case for why they might work, and they call them boosters, even though they're not boosters, right? New England Journal of Medicine. But first, a caveat, guys. Here's what it says. There are no data available yet demonstrating the effectiveness of the Omicron booster authorized on August 31st, which protects against BA4 and 5. Great. So that's the moment when you should go, well, I'm going to stop reading this because this is nonsense. There's nothing in this other than conjecture and hypothetical broad grasping at straws. It might do this and it could do that. But guess what? We have no idea because we don't have any data. So we're guessing. So let me go on and write for 45 paragraphs about how, well, it's not that long, about why I think this. The point is, guys, New England Journal of Medicine did the same thing. Let's do a study about no data. How do you even do a study when there's no data available? That's an article. You're writing an opinion piece and shoving it out as an art, as a study from New England Journal of Medicine. This is what it looks like to see a broken process. <laughs> How pathetic. But they're still pushing it out every day. Guess what? They're going to change everything, we think. Well, don't forget, Biden said it's over. Pandemic's over, guys. So why would we even want these things if he just said the pandemic is over? That's going to come back to bite him, I promise. I don't even know why they said that. Maybe he made a mistake. Who knows? But you already know this is long from over. Now, what they're pointing at when they say the pandemic is over is you and the discussion we're having about these things. They want you to stop focusing on the waterfall of evidence coming out around their broken narrative. This is from August 19th. We've already shown you this. Vascular and organ damage induced by mRNA vaccines. Irrefutable proof of causality. Dr. Peter McCullough points this out. Plenty of other people points out that they've already met the necessary data points to prove causality. Nobody cares in the corporate setting. But you can read this one for yourself. We've already gone through this. This is discussing specifically the, the, or, the vascular damage and organ damage that we're seeing in myocarditis and everything else. Here's one I'll include since we already talked about it from the past. This is from April 15th, peer-reviewed on one of the highest regarded, at least severe, science direct, innate immune suppression by the COVID injections. The breakdown, they promote sustained synthesis of the spike protein, which is dangerous for you. So it continues to make them in your body. The spike protein is neurotoxic and it impairs DNA repair mechanisms. 
suppression of type one interferon responses results in impaired innate immunity. That's why you keep getting sick. That's why other things get worse. That's why you catch whatever's there, whatever you want to call COVID over and over and over. The mRNA vaccines potentially cause increased risk to infectious disease and cancers. This it's undeniable. Guess peer reviewed only matters when we like what it says, right? Well, here's Bernie's tweets, which I'm looking forward to speaking with tomorrow. World Health Organization gives us a lesson in our, an irony. And she says, stop laughing at the back. Look what it says. WHO retweets the WHO Europe's tweet that says, before you take it, know your medication, check the dose in time, ask your health professional, ask your healthcare professional. You know why? Inform yourself. Be aware of the potential side effects of your medications. Be aware, except the COVID vaccine, though. Don't talk about that one and shut up and you're a conspiracy theorist. But everything else, be prepared. Be aware of all the dangerous things that we don't want you talking about. As she says, stop laughing at the back, right? These people are ridiculous. This is a clownish display of people. Like It's like they want you to, oh, okay, because they say that, they must be honest then, right? Well, here is still what's happening from the New York Post. As again, Bernie Sweets points out, determined to continue the totalitarian regime, New York fires 850 more teachers who refuse to comply with the mandates. At this point in time, even with all the new evidence, even with the ending of the pandemic, everything, 850 more teachers are now being fired for not taking these injections. You realize these are booster mandates, guys. We're at a a point where they're not even moving past the idea of that. They're at fully vaccinated again and then get the booster when that comes available. Or excuse me, the new Omicron injection they're calling a booster, dishonestly. So why then are they still forcing mandates for the in-between boosters that apparently don't even matter anymore? Because this is nothing but a narrative and an agenda and virtue signaling and dangerous, dangerous agendas, guys. I just can't wrap my mind around how anybody sees this as honest. Now, on that point of being honest and the conversation of the whiplash discussion, which keeps switching back and forth and up and down and left and right, is guess what? The Telegraph says the Lancet's facing a backlash after a major COVID-19 commission report that recently just came out suggested the disease may have leaked from a laboratory in the United States. Now, I'm not saying that that's the truth. I don't know. But it's certainly a very high possibility based on history, based on what we know, based on the fact that the U.S. is directly involved with what's happening in Wuhan. And then you could do the same thing in reverse, right? It's it's highly likely that this was a Chinese thing that overlaps with U.S. support, like it would be U.S. thing with Chinese support. That's how this works, guys, because they're working with each other. And, and there is clear overlap. In, oh, actually, I take it back in the context of Fort Detrick, because there is no Chinese presence there, but there is a U.S. presence in Wuhan. There's a French and a, and a, all over the, we, we talked about North Carolina University. We talked about uh, uh, Equal Health Alliance, Dazak, Barrick, the whole overlap there, guys. That's their research there. You can't pretend the U.S. is, no matter if it was a Chinese leak or an attack or whatever else, the U.S. fingerprints are all over it. So what's interesting is all of a sudden they go, maybe, well, the U.S. lab, <laughs> look over there. And it's not that we shouldn't talk about it because this is something that people like like Spiro and myself were screaming about right out of the gate, talking with Dr. Boyle. The possibility was all we were discussing. It's just insulting that they would come out and say, well, now we can point at this topic. Why? Because the Lancet said maybe we should. There's no new evidence, guys. The evidence is still the same as they've had from the beginning. So why now are they putting it in the discussion? That's what you should be asking. As Gerald falls up and says, this is the only explanation that fits the data we have. 
The U.S. had the most cases despite a small population. That's true. They got a head start, which is true. The enigmatic flu in summer 2019 in the U.S. with the vape illness. Exactly. The small impact on China and Wuhan. The cases found in Spain. You, you, could, you could put caveats on that, whether they hit information or so on. But the bottom line is there's a, the evidence is clear. In the, we should be questioning that and asking, we need a real investigation because there's so much that shows you this. Then we have Italy and Taiwan and Spain and Japan and numerous others that proved they had ev- evidence of whatever we're calling this in their countries before it was seen in Wuhan. And yet we still start with Wuhan. I mean, that's, it's just, just silly. Or it's sort of like talking about Omicron starting in South Africa. Isn't that just the narrative now? It didn't start now in South Africa. It started in Botswana and spread to South Africa. And they just ignore the four diplomats that came from some weird place we don't talk about. This is how these things work. It's narrative control. But she, this person follows up saying, weird, how none of this came to light until now. <laughs> of course, you know my thoughts on that. And still doesn't explain China's slowness to heed medical advice, nor the quick vaccine by both U.S. and China. If anything, it seems they jointly plan to boost. I agree with that. That I, The part, second part I agree with. But the first two parts. Of course, it didn't just come to light and it doesn't in the China's slowness that I'm not going to disagree with. But I argue that the framing of that was very politicized from the way that the U.S. wanted to frame it before we had any information. And there was a progress of the way the WHO said one thing and China said one thing. And then once something was arguably proven, then they released the information. And you could argue that they hit it up until then. But the point is, it's a very small time frame. The point that what I think was hidden was all the background information about what's going on there between both of them and how they covered it up before, like the BlackRock plan and the stock sales and everything else that happened before this was, you know, it's obvious there was foreknowledge. But as I said, oh, it came to light, the possibility anyway, right in the beginning, it was just shouted down by the same entities bringing it up today, citing the same evidence, no less. So here's their discussion. September 14th, the virus could have leaked from a U.S. lab. It's a very interesting shift. The Lancet is now facing backlash. How funny is the Lancet, by the way? The same Lancet then started the first conversation that shouted down the even possibility of discussing a lab leak. Now the Lancet's coming out and taking heat for saying it could have been a U.S. lab. How stupid of a turn is that? But it says the commission is now report is suggesting the disease may have leaked from a laboratory in the United States as, as one of the possibilities. But it says the report, the result of a two years of work, also suggested American researchers could be culpable, as well as mentioning facilities in Wuhan. So clearly they're saying it could be either or. It noted that independent researchers have not yet investigated U.S. labs and said the National Institutes of Health has, quote, resisted disclosing details. I mean, there's more than enough there to go, well, there's something fishy. The report comes as controversy swirls the commission chair, the economist, Professor Jeffrey Sachs, this guy, right? The funny part about this is he's the one that was getting heat the first time. Now, after two years of work, They come out and give the data because the data doesn't align with what people have already decided is the narrative you're supposed to go along with. He gets attacked by morons, in my opinion, like I I shouldn't even go that far, but morons, in my opinion, like Mr. Peter Hotez coming out and going, you shouldn't have even said that. What do you mean he shouldn't have said it? You mean he shouldn't have discussed what his findings were? I mean, how stupid, if you're an expert and you're in control of this thing, I'm not saying you should trust them. But he comes out and says what he found. And if it goes against what you've already pre-decided, what's the reality that you just attack him for it? This is the breakdown of the, that's a faux scientist, pseudoscientist, in my opinion. Even if he has credentials, there's plenty of them out there. There's one PhD in my mind out there. That's a really ridiculous person, but we'll get into that. But it says researchers could be culpable as well as mentioning facilities in Wuhan. 
resist resisted disclosing details. The NIH is actively keeping information from flowing. That's an obvious point. But it says at a conference in Madrid earlier this year, he said that it was pretty convinced that SARS-CoV-2, quote, came out of a U.S. lab of biotechnology, not out of nature. Why, why doesn't that open the conversation? This guy's an expert that you guys have challenged to look into this. And because he says that, you just attack him. It shows you a controlled narrative, not an investigation. A claim that has since been widely promoted by Chinese diplomats. So what? Of course it would be because it's anything that makes U.S. get exposed, even if it actually is the case. Like China or Russia will point out all sorts of things the U.S. does because they're doing bad things. It could be a lie, but it also could be just exposing the real things they do that are terrible. Like that's a self-serving claim. But the bottom line is that it's obviously possible. Now, Ian, even for the discussion of whether this is even there or whether viruses even exist, it does. you could argue that there's still something that was made that was still used, whatever that could be. So think about it from that kind of the context before we start ignoring the entire conversation because of the valid question about whether those things are there, right? Think about it from that other, it could be just don't get fixated on the word of what they're calling it. It could still be something that was used, created to be released or however you look at it. But it says in August, Professor Sachs also appeared on a podcast hosted by RFK Jr., which, of course, spun everybody out of control. The conspiracy theorist, right? Which is not what he is. Here's what they actually call him. One of the world's most prominent anti-vaxxer commentators. You know, see this, this right there, not that any corporate media, in my opinion, has a high level of credibility. He is outspoken. And his own history and own conversations and own record prove this. That he is not anti-vaccine. He's anti-this vaccine. In fact, he's pro-vaccine. In every other context outside of the specific ones, he points out their problems. Now, maybe that's evolved over the last so many months. I haven't been keeping up on his, you know, I I would argue it should, personally. But in any case, for them to call him the most prominent anti-vaccine commentator goes against what he says, what his background shows, what his open statements have been. But they don't care because the narrative is not about the fact. It's about going along with the narrative, which is everything about COVID-19 today. To discuss his beliefs just days after the Instagram and Facebook suspended his account, which you saw him talk about, especially on vaccines. It says, quote, this may be one of the Lancet's most shameful moments regarding its role as a steward and leader in communicating crucial findings about science and medicine. Okay. How can you even say something like that? This is a professor Angelo speaking out. Did you look at, so it doesn't matter what he found, how he found it. If you simply find that you're irresponsible. What if that's the truth? Like, it doesn't even matter. She added, pretty shocked at how flagrantly the report ignores key evidence of COVID origins, or does it ignore the established narrative set out to be discussed? Because the, the stand, what she's talking about is the Wuhan lab, or excuse me, the, the Wuhan market, and the pangolins or whatever else. That, that, that's been shown to be, at the very least, not proven. I argue completely debunked from the very beginning. Now, because he comes out and says this, they just attack him for it. That's just, that that is doctrine. But it says, when approached by the Telegraph, Professor Sachs stood by his previous comments, adding that he personally oversaw this part of the work on the emergence of SARS-CoV-2. Last summer, he disbanded an initial task force led by Dr. Peter Daszak. Amid concerns, it was too biased towards the natural origin hypothesis. Right. Obviously, you get rid of somebody who has a vested interest in covering up what happened. But he says, quote, everybody signed off on the final text. So two years later, not just him, but an entire team doing entire investigations, but yet all they can do is go, how irresponsible for you saying the thing we're not supposed to say. 
These people are children, I swear. It says the question of a possible laboratory release mostly involves the question of U.S.-China joint work that was underway on SARS-like viruses. How, how, I mean, that's the most objective statement you can make. Yes. So it's not left or right or partisan or only Russia or only China or only U.S. It's the fact that they're all working together, which therefore then clearly implicates possibly a U.S. lab. Like from my perspective, he seems to be doing good work just on the fact that he's not saying it is the U.S. or it is China, but it's a possibility. But no, you can't say that. Now, again, this in and of itself could be a distraction to argue we're back on the idea that it's even there when I'm going to be speaking with Denny Rancourt again soon about the simple possibility that this is not even in existence. That it's not about whether the viruses or not, but the idea that this, whether, you know, that's part of it, but whether this could have been completely manufactured from whole cloth using pneumonia, flu, whatever else to, to make that the case. However you look at this, though, realize that we've been talking about simply the possibility that this was man-made or whatever from the very beginning. This is Jan I just pulled up a bunch of random ones. They're not necessarily in any order. January 31st, 2020. Here's one new coronavirus declared bioweapon by this is Dr. Boyle. This is February 4th, 2020. This one is February 14th. More on coronavirus as a bioweapon. So you can watch these and I go through this history. You know, the same stuff they're going to discuss now, but we weren't allowed to talk about it back then. This one's a long one. Coronavirus, bioweapons, vaccines, fake pandemics, globalization plots, and 5G sickness. Let's dive in. March 1st, 2020. So they're all there for you to check out if you want to go back and look at them. The point is, this is a conversation that we should have been having from the beginning, and it was shouted down, and it's going to be just as controlled now. Now, we are not going to see them get rid of the control mechanisms they're going to use whether it's for climate change or whatever else. Here is Mayor, Mayor Eric Adams. Speak it up, sort of like Gavin Newsom loves to do, probably not even in line with some larger agenda, just trying to take advantage of the situation. He says America must act now to prevent the monkeypox virus from becoming a full-scale crisis. How is that even? I mean, that means he doesn't even care about the data. Well, I guess exactly. But, but, but whatever, by their stated discussion about this, monkeypox is not even possible to become a crisis because of the way it spreads. It's not, it is hard, it's not a pandemic type spreading problem unless something changes, which is always how they keep it open. A new variant could call change everything. But the point is he's pointing at this thing that they're all going, well, it's not that dangerous. It doesn't get most people sick. It doesn't even get, there's zero deaths in the case of the United States, aside from the weird overlap they try to manipulate. But he says, let's declare an emergency. America's mayor stand ready to deliver again with the federal government's help. He wants the government to declare an emergency to step in and give them emergency powers to, to fight against monkeypox. This is just him trying to take advantage of a situation. This person goes, meanwhile, thousands of kids in school are sick with COVID. <laughs> okay, like this, these people will never let this go. And here's the point. EU commission is seeking emergency powers to force companies to make key products, stockpile goods, just in a crisis. Oh, okay. So no specific reason, just drafting framework for an emergency, you know? So if we ch choose tomorrow, next year, in a million years, whatever, we can just force you all to shut your companies down, make what we want you to make, stockpile things. Oh, oh it's exactly like the Defense Production Act. It's exactly what it is, but in Europe, or rather the EU. So here it goes again. Now just EU is taking lessons from the US and just already framing it up, getting ready. This is where we're going. This is disaster governance, guys. Here's the federal government, speaking from the White House background, calling for big tech to censor you. Why? Not climate change, not COVID-19. Just 
dis- discussing renewable energy in a way that they don't like. This is the reality of where we are right now. You can't even go, well, I don't think windmills work. Oh, censored. The challenge is now that we're moving from denial to actually just trying to to disengage the public from understanding the values of solar energy, the values of wind energy, the benefits of clean energy. We have to get tighter. We have to get better at communicating. And frankly, the tech companies have to stop allowing specific individuals over and over again to spread disinformation. We have to be smarter than that, and we need the tech companies to really jump in. Hey, fantastic. Let's have the tech companies jump in and, you know, just censor anybody that's framing renewable energy in a way that we don't like. You know, it doesn't even matter whether they could be wrong. You know, historically, that's never happened before, right? That they could have just accidentally got it wrong or or they're, you know, there's there's more dynamic conversation to be had that might improve the process. Nope, nope, nope. You just you shut up because you're not smart. We know better. Let us do what we know is right. Right. Th- these people believe that. I just it's it's alarming how quickly this has changed from acting like things that we all swear are the only thing that America that that's why America is better than everywhere else. Or, well, except nobody cares anymore in the power in power anyway. No free speech. No rights to your body. No nothing. It's amazing how we can make a huge wedge issue about Roe versus Wade and then literally go on a, a rampage about exactly the opposite of that. Now, here is where this all is going, talking about the renewable energy manipulation or the manufactured crises. These, this is setting you up to destroy the things they don't want you to use anymore, in my opinion, or at the very least put you in an insecure situation so you depend on the government more than ever. Biden to pay $80 per barrel to fill a strategic oil reserve. The same strategic oil reserve they were depleting because of the situation they created. And this is two years after Democrats blocked Trump from filling the reserve at only $24 per barrel. What do you know? Now, this is not meant to be a partisan point. It's simply meant to make you see how this is a controlled flow, right? So now we're at a position where they're choosing to fill these back up at a time where they created a situation where it will be more than three times the price more than four times the price or no yeah so anyway but the point the point is it's very obvious that this is not like why why would this have even started why would this even happen in the middle and now why in a position like this is meant to destroy i think we're watching these things get pulled down and here's bloomberg italy apparently can make it through the coming winter oh good we can make it that's nice even without gas from russia Assuming temperatures remain mild, dun dun dun, climate change, right? I mean, that's that's what that's assuming the thing that we all claim is going to happen, does like, or even how about the fact they just claim it's different, like we just saw before, right? Oh, could we have this heat wave? Everyone's dying. It's like it's like eighty six degrees. Oh, we're all going to die. Now, yes, there were places that did get hot, but it was like a two day heat wave, and it was not even that far outside the normal ranges. But they, every outlet across the world seemed to scream about the, the world on fire. Well, here we are. Apparently, Italy can make it. So you can squeak by Italy, even without the thing. So they've destroyed your lives based on the idea that we need to fight something for the future, but blame Russia because Russia did it. And as long as temperatures remain mild through summer, we'll be okay. You are watching them create a situation that they're going to use against you. 
you're, it's not going to be okay. They're going to make sure it's not okay. And then they're going to blame whoever they want. They're going to use that excuse to redesign or rebuild or add, force in whatever they need to force in. Here's Jamie Jenkins pointing out the EU has agreed to impose mandatory cuts in energy consumption, right? This is not about helping anybody but themselves. They say, quote, we need to understand that the pre-war situation with abundant cheap fossil fuels is not coming back. They are still, still childishly blaming Ukraine for, for everything that they just said they need to do to fight climate change. So it's bad, even though it's good for the agenda, but bad because Putin does it and it hurts you. So bad guy Putin, but yes, it's happening, right? Like, it's so silly. Nobody can buy this. They can't. I just don't understand how anybody would be stupid enough to not see how manufactured this is. Leaders are overseeing a huge drop in living standards for normal people. A mandatory cut in consumption. Freedom, though, right? Free democracy, but we're going to force you to control. Like, this is smart meter stuff. You no longer have choice over things that even you pay for. Caitlin Johnstone points out, if you're wondering why we're seeing more war propaganda today than ever, at any point since World War II, it's because it's going to take a tremendous amount of psychological manipulation to get people to accept things like this. Your energy account, your energy payments, you were paying $52.35 per month. Your future payments will be $1,248.90 per month, uh, pounds. Right. So how can anybody rationalize that? How can anybody even remotely afford that kind of increase? Hundreds of times. Or the fact that you're even just $1,000 for energy. Or about the people we saw in, 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 I think it was in UK and Ireland, where it was like 10,000 pounds. Not even making that up. How do you, businesses can't afford this and businesses are shutting down. This is a manufactured problem. Bernice Tweets points out the regression of women's rights continues. Banks are able to block the bank accounts. In this case, she uses the feminist discussion to frame this. The accounts of feminist organizations that refuse to follow the narrative. Dutch feminist blocked by banks for her critique of the transgender bill. So in a quick side note, the point, the whole interesting part about how the feminist movement, which was used to, to build into the transgender movement, is now eating the feminist movement alive. They like, so it's so ridiculous. But that's not the point. The point is, as she makes clear, imagine what they can do with central bank digital currencies. These, these banks are just blocking their accounts because they critique the transgender bill on Facebook? Yes, because this has been allowable. I guess you can call it like the origin window of like allowable actions is changing right now because of COVID-19, because of climate change, because of everything they're pushing in. We are watching a massive coordinated event happen. COVID-19 was one. We're watching this next one right now. You're blocking people for things they don't agree with. So just wait for the digital backed, central backed digital currencies. Because the point is, that is how these will be used. As she points out, central bank digital currencies are being rolled out globally. Why? The president of the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis tells you why. Take a listen to this. You already know, I'm sure. But this is somebody inside who's willing to tell you what's coming. And wondering why Americans are allowing it. Pretty skeptical. I keep asking anybody, anybody at the Fed or outside of the Fed to explain to me what problem this is solving. I can send anybody in this room $5 with Venmo right now. Right? No, seriously. So what is it that a CBDC could do that Venmo can't do? And all I get is a bunch of hand waving. I get a bunch. Well, maybe it's better for financial inclusion. 
maybe it's better for cross-border remittances. Maybe. Is there any evidence that it is? And, you know, they say, well, what about China? China's doing it. Well, I can see why China would do it. If they want to monitor every one of your transactions, you could do that with the central bank digital currency. You can't do that with Venmo. If you want to impose negative interest rates, you could do that with the central bank digital currency. You can't do that with Venmo. And if you want to directly tax customer accounts, you could do that with the central bank digital currency. You can't do that with Venmo. So I get why China would be interested. Why would the American people be for that? Yeah, because they're being convinced it's in their best interest. You know, the few out there that are actually buying it. That's the problem is they're going forward under the lie that we all want this when nobody really does. Think about how important that is. Now, I no way am I endorsing what he otherwise believes or anything else. It's just simply a moment of truth squeaking out from people inside the situation. And what he's telling you is that that is how it will be used. Exactly like China. And that's the whole point. They are drooling over this control. That's what Caitlin, uh, uh, um, uh, Catherine Austin Fitz was discussing in the beginning. This is top-down financial control that builds to entire totalitarian control over your life. And this is where it goes. You can't have all of this without the digital identity, without the vaccine passport. Same difference. There's different terms. That is, well, I mean, obviously we could argue the vaccine passport can end up on the digital ID, but it's one and the same. The whole point of the passport was to get you to get a digital ID. That is how social credit, carbon tax, all of this begins. It's already happening. Now here, as of the 16th, apparently was, this is so embarrassing too, apparently was International Identity Day. So instead of <coughs> discussing identity, at a time when they, they, they probably could have leaned into trans stuff, they could have leaned into any number of their big talking points, but instead they revealed the truth. They aggressively used that day to push you to get a digital identification. They are desperate, guys. They really want you to go along with this. Here's Tony Blair pushing you to get that create a digital ID today that is much more easily protected so you can deal with a lot of the privacy and surveillance issues that worry people. But it's a, it's a natural evolution of the way that we're going to use technology in any event to transact daily life. And this COVID crisis gives an additional reason for doing that because... Always, always. Oh, what do you know? Just so happens to create the explanation or the justification for whatever we point out today or tomorrow or the next day perfect COVID gave us the example right that everything we're doing right now what a coincidence look I, I could be wrong about this but when i look at for example how you restart some businesses how you restart international travel i think people's disease status for example have they been tested what is the result of that test oh the vaccine passport overlap look at that but biden just said it was over tony sorry about that and um, have they had the disease do they have the disease i think unless you're able to record some of this data in a way that people can use, it's going to be difficult to, to go back to anything like a, a, a near normal in things like, like, like transport. So if you're going to start international travel again, how do you do that unless people can be easily tested and have some record of that test? Of course, the independent, happy to push this out. Like, it's interesting though, right? As it says, the UN Sustainable Development Goal, 16.9 by 2030. Those ruling governments say it will free you, but really it will tie you to the whims of governments forever. Exactly. Right. And wh why it's if the overlap is so transparent. Oh, well, you know, let me pick an example. I don't know. You know, if you're sick and traveling, it's like, oh, gee, what a thought. Exactly. where I mean, this is a, an agenda on its face, transparent. Now I'm going to include 
a bunch of different links. This is actually just the category search for digital ID. But Derek's done a g- bunch of great work. NYU School of Law warns digital ID paving a digital road to hell. That's their quote from NYU School of Law. My, how we can't see where this is going is beyond me for some of for those that can't. Exposing the digital ID as a human rights scam. Like th- this is all very important stuff. Check it out, please, because this is going in exactly that direction. And Bernie's tweets points out that universal digital ID will be used by governments to control what you buy, what you eat, when you buy fuel, where you go, your speech, your behavior. Convenience will not bring you freedom, only tyranny. International Identity Day is not in my name. The point, though, is that all of these things are things that you're seeing happen right now. Stopping you from buying certain things, stopping you from eating certain things, not buying certain fuels, all because of different narratives. COVID, climate change, energy problems, Russia, but it's all happening in real time. Speech and behavior are obvious. You've seen that with just T-Lab, every possible way. Now, this brings you into where the logical conclusion is driving. And we already saw the pandemic, or I guess it was a food crisis exercise in 2015 that found that a predicted 2020 to 2030 food crisis what do you know would drive and the or end up in the final resolution of a global carbon tax we just talked about this i mean it's just so transparent here is the world economic forum on september 14th posting an article called my carbon an approach for inclusive and sustainable cities i mean it's so interesting. They use the words inclusive and sustainable when none of these things are actually what's happening. And I'll even show you that with their own verbiage. As the joke goes, it's, in, it's, sustain, it's sustaining their ability to control your lives. Here's what it says. The bullet points. While transport and buildings are the major drivers for emissions in cities, the share of individual emissions is significant, right? Of course, the point is we're going to start with you. We're going to stop you from driving cars and you from acting certain ways. We're going to tax the hell out of these businesses, but they're going to keep doing all their same pollution. The point is that's the real problem. Even if the share of your individual emissions, of course, that's even if they were a problem in regard to carbon, which is not the case. I'm not making that argument. But in their narrative, the point is that your individual emissions are significant. So we're going to go at it as a population effort and control your carbon. But you know what would obviously make a difference more so? I guess they're arguing in the article that 40% of the problem is from the average people, as opposed to trying to ubiquitously affect every individual person's action simultaneously, which is like hurting cats. You could simply go big business. Stop doing these things. Hey, bing, bang, boom. You got 60% done just like that. But no, because we're not going to change them because that's not what we're really trying to do. We're trying to control your life under the guise of changing these things. You see my point? If you wanted to stop the 60% of emissions that are the bulk You would affect the large businesses and their bulk actions as companies, not the individual actions of somebody going to work that day. That's what the pro that's what this is focused on. That's why it's my carbon using apps to control what you do. Personal carbon allowance programs for you have had limited success due to a lack of awareness. Yeah, that's why. And fair mechanism for tracking emissions. Yet there have been major developments in recent years that could help realize my carbon initiatives. Here's the real quick point in this last one major developments did not happen during COVID-19. But here's the way you have to see this. You didn't hear about these things until COVID-19. What you can prove is that they were developed before COVID-19 and were in the wings up until they had the right moment to go, guess what? And during the biggest pandemic of the century, this whole world shifted out and changed. The rollout came during the pandemic though, right? Because that makes sense. No, the point is that wasn't real. This is an illusion. And this was all rolled out under that guise. Cities across the world account for almost 75% of our total carbon emissions. Cities, not you individually, 
but and, and it includes you. But the point is there's bigger and larger ways. Should this even be the real way to go about it, which it's not be clear about that. But from within their narrative, even you can show that it's not even really about stopping the real problem. It says as countries move towards implementing their pledges for net zero future, urban areas will remain the action ground for decades to come. Why urban areas? Why, so you're not even talking about this. You're talking about the individuals in their urban area. This is Agenda 2030 in the real sense of herding people into these cities. It doesn't even make sense to go after the smallest percentage in broad, grasping ways that change their individual lives for control while leaving the problem that they claim is the problem, not me. While transport and buildings are the major drivers for emissions in cities, the share of individual individual emissions is still at 40%. So you're going to go after the, the smaller percentage in an urban spark in sparse areas and leave. I mean, this doesn't make sense. Inclusivity of citizens is becoming the most important element of success or failure in the journey towards sustainability. What do any of these things have to do with the carbon tracking? You see, that exposes what they mean by these things right now. Inclusivity of citizens. What does that mean? Is it inclusive in the context of how they use it today? where everybody gets their, their say and we're all, everyone's on the same level, even though it's not even true. It's never true. It's just the way w- the world works. No, they're talking about it in the sense of inclusivity, meaning everybody's involved in this controlled structure. Oh, thank you for, for forcing me into this. It's all inclusive. Everybody has to do it. <laughs> That's what they mean. Inclusive, in, inclusivity of citizens involved in the carbon tracking. Like, like you were not included. I want my car to be tracked. That's not fair. <laughs> That's not happening. Just realize how they're using these terms. The drive towards sustainability. Sustainability for what? The idea that tracking your carbon is going to create sustainability. These things are... I'm going to have more interviews coming up with this, about this soon to make sure we're clear about why this isn't accurate. But community-led initiatives can make a significant contribution towards sustainability, increase resilience, and social cohesion. Right, so the average, the 40% and the individuals making small choices about their car, their gas, what they eat that day, is going to be about sustainability, increased resilience. What does that even mean? And social cohesion? These are all control tactics, guys. We are watching, you're being herded. It says here, number one, these are the three big developments. COVID-19 was the test of social responsibility. Okay, what they're basically saying here is COVID-19 was a test to see how you responded. And a huge number of unimaginable restrictions for public health were adopted by billions of citizens across the world. So they're essentially saying, and look, this is a successful model. They are still arguing that masks, lockdown, and social distancing are the way to go. Can you actually believe that? Despite their own science proving that that didn't work. It says numerous, numerous examples of globally of maintaining social distancing, wearing masks, mass vaccinations, and acceptance of contact tracing for public health were the core of individual social responsibility. That's so, this is just a narrative being spun around a crumbling illusion. The point is, this is a use to say, see, it worked for COVID. So the insinuation is we'll do something similar for climate change, for carbon. Number two, fourth industrial revolution technology breakthroughs. See, this is my point. Advances in emerging technologies like AI, blockchain, digitization can enable tracking personal carbon emissions. Like they're trying to pretend like this all rolled out in the middle of the pandemic. That's the, the illusion. This stuff was right waiting and ready, and they only pushed it in one big lump during COVID. How does that even make sense to anybody? or really on the tail end of COVID. Raise awareness and also provide individual advisories 
on lower carbon and ethical choices for consumption, product, and services. Great. So now AI and blockchain and digital IDs are going to be tracking personal emissions, telling you that you shouldn't be using certain things and potentially restricting the use of those products, which is what they're actually talking about right now. Remember, that when they talked about the idea of potential climate lockdowns, when it was the, uh, forget the group's name, but it was a group that works directly with the Sustainable Development Goals, one of the things they said was restricting the, e- the use of or the eating of meat, stopping cars, stopping drilling. That's, that's what they're arguing is going to be the climate lockdown. Why do they think they have that right? They don't. The World Economic Forum Scale 360 Initiative demonstrates the use of the fourth industrial revolution technologies across the whole life cycle of products and services. And don't forget, I'll show you next, what they tell you is happening during this process. Implantables. All sorts of invasive, weird, science fiction-like technology. That if you talk about on Twitter right now, you'll be called a conspiracy theorist, even though they're right now talking about using that to save the world. The rollout of smart meters in providing individual choices to reduce their energy-related emissions. Or, you know, shutting off your power when you don't agree to what they want, which is already happening in places around the world, using smart meters. As it says, raise awareness and ownership for nature and environment. In the last few years, there's an increased awareness and public concern on climate change and specifically young youth. I think, no, excuse me, especially. uh, This is just a weird typo, I think. Concern on climate change and especially young youth. I'm imagining, I mean, especially young youth, but I don't know why, the the whole sentence is weird is an increased awareness and public concern on especially young youth? Or are they saying special young kids? I don't even know. It's creepy and weird, but either way, wrong. What it says here is what's next? Sustainable cities enabled through smart communities. Go oh, weird. So smart cities. Who would have seen that coming? Only everybody that screamed that was the logical conclusion of the Great Reset COVID-19 crossover, and we were shouted down as conspiracy theorists for it. But here they are literally going, COVID-19 leads to smart cities. <laughs> Weird. The three trends provide strong evidence towards enabling a social movement for my carbon initiatives by enabling public-private partnerships, of course, to help curate the program. It's suggested to drive a three-way approach to shape the movement increased costs for carbon intense activities so here's where they become clear about it so now they're now, now we're not even talking about benefits we're already on the penalty stage you, it'll just simply cost more you can't use these things we'll make it more expensive eventually we'll penalize you for it economic incentives to reduce demand and improve efficiency raised visibility of personal carbon footprints oh good so you're going to call people out for doing the wrong the thing that they say is wrong like with the vaccine initiatives raised awareness of personal carbon limits so you already have limits set for you and to sustain the transition to net zero carbon society, which they are stupidly like to Carrie said the other day, acting like we need to remove all carbon from the atmosphere, which would kill us all. But who cares about that? New definition of a fair share of personal emissions. New definition. Always new definitions defining what is allowable. Setting the acceptance levels of personal emissions. Finally, it says such economic action will need policy enablement from city leadership through extensive discussions between stakeholders to arrive at a fair and inclusive approach. So your better is collecting, you know, stakeholders, business leaders, media, collecting and discussing what you'll be allowed to do. Economic action will need policy enablement, cognitive enablement and social norms. This weirded me out. This says the levers of cognitive enablement in capitals and social norms in capitals will be much more impactful through citizen engagement. In innovative AI and machine learning capabilities 
would help capture embedded emissions in goods and services and could help in providing individuals with tailored, timely advice on how to reduce their lifestyle emissions. Okay, well, you know, you could argue it's suggestive, right? What's cognitive enablement? And why is it capitalized? So they're literally talking about using the levels of levers of cognitive enablement. The term sounds creepy to me, but it turns out it's an artificial intelligence term. But we're talking about it in the context of you. The levers of social norms impact citizen engagement. So how does it apply to you? Well, this is talking about the three rules of cognitive enablement. And you can see that it gets into some weird stuff about AI. A robot may not injure a human being. A robot must obey orders given to it by human beings. It's pretty weird overlap, isn't it? Well, let's just look at the words and break it down. Because honestly, I can't truly know how they're meaning it. So let's look at what the words mean. Cognition. Cognitive. Characterizing or involving your cognition. So your thinking, your process, the way you, your, your d- discernment. The way you are, your brain is perceiving things, okay? Enablement. The process of making someone able to do something. So there's no way to really misunderstand this. The idea of controlling or at least influencing how you perceive and, and understand things. So they're talking about through the levers of cognitive enablement. This is, t- this is social engineering, and they're not even hiding that. So we're going to socially engineer how you perceive how things are good or bad, what you think is right and wrong. What, I mean, that's exactly what we're always telling you. That is scary. Now, this is a simple overlap for how they're going to use this for the climate change discussion. That's where this is going. Here is chief advisor Yuval Harari, as Bernie's tweets is pointing out, saying the new gods will redesign you, take away your soul and free will and re-engineer you to be useful to the gods. This is the agenda. We are the many and the many must stop government partnerships with the World Economic Forum. Nothing good can come of it. That's what she points out. I agree. But this guy works with the World Economic Forum, works on all of this. He's involved with this. He is openly talking about where this is going. And don't forget, they're talking about the Fourth Industrial Revolution, which they are saying is now. I can't stress that enough. When they're talking about implantables and all this stuff, they were arguing this years back about happening during the Fourth Industrial Revolution. So that is supposed to be now. Here's what he's saying. Animals. You know, the, it starts by saying human are hackable animals. The whole idea that humans have, you know, this, they, they have this soul or spirit and they have free will and nobody knows what's happening inside me. So whatever I choose, whether in the election or whether in the supermarket, this is my free will. That's over. Free will. That's over. That's over. Over. Today, we have the technology to hack human beings on a massive scale. Yeah, I mean, everything is being digitalized. So is that happening now? That's a good question. Digitalized, everything is being monitored. In this time of crisis, you have to follow science. It's often said that you should never allow a good crisis to go to waste because a crisis is an opportunity to also do good reforms that in normal times people will never agree to. But in a crisis, you see, we have no chance. So, 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 so let's do it. Vaccine won't help us go the to the test, of course. The vaccine will help <laughs> us, of course. It will make things, you know, m- more manageable. Surveillance, people could look back in 100 years and identify the coronavirus epidemic as the moment when a new regime of surveillance took over, especially surveillance under the skin. Listen, guys. I know you, you, those of you that are always here are already aware of this, but maybe the new people, listen to what he's saying. 
everything's out there if you just listen to what they're saying to you. This guy is literally working along. This guy is part of the agenda. He's openly been speaking about this forever. It's not a secret. It's right under the surface. Which I think is maybe the most important development of the 21st century is this ability to hack human beings, to go under the skin, collect biometric data, analyze it, and understand people better than they understand themselves. This, I believe, is maybe the most important event of the 21st century. Welcome and, and enter Biden's bioeconomy. This is exactly what I'm talking about. You are the commodity now. Your body, your biomaterial is the, the foundation for the biomanufacturing bioeconomy. They're not even hiding this from you. At what point did this transition to where we used to care that we have personal rights to the idea that, well, and that's what the vaccine discussion opened up, that, well, society's more important. That's not even what bioethics have laid out from UNESCO, right? They don't, they don't even care. They are now arguing that they have the sole interest, the science or the society is more important than your personal rights. And they just opened up this massive bioeconomy direction and they don't even want to look back. This is alarming. It's still happening and we have time to push back, guys. We did have an effect on the COVID discussion. I believe that. But this is just jumping into the next push and we need to stand up now more than ever. By hacking organisms, elites may gain the power to re-engineer the future of life itself. Because once you can hack something, you can usually also engineer it. Natural selection is replaced by intelligent design. The era of inorganic life is now beginning. In the coming decades, AI and biotechnology will give us godlike abilities to re-engineer life and even to create completely new life forms. We are about to enter a new era of inorganic life shaped by intelligent design. Our intelligent design. Hmm. How alarming. Next we have, and I've played this before, Klaus Schwab and the Google co-founder, Sergey Brin, discussing that now... Don't forget, they're discussing this in the context of the fourth industrial revolution, right? So now that we're in that phase and they're telling you we're in that phase, here's what they were saying is going to happen during that phase. Advancing very fast. But can you imagine that in 10 years when we are sitting here, we have an implant in our uh, brains and um, I can immediately feel because you all will have implants. I can and we measure your, your brain waves. And I can immediately tell you how the people react, or I can feel uh, how the people react um, to your answers. Yeah, that can't be abused at all, right? Uh, is it imaginable? Um, I, I think that is imaginable. I think um, I, I think you know you can imagine that. You can imagine well, you're going to be sort of transplanted into, you know, the, the internet, so to speak, to live forever in a digital realm. Uh, you know, you can imagine that, you know, you just in your biological incarnation are going to live to be some, you know, very long age. Uh... I mean, it's just so casual the way they speak about this stuff. And this is what's crazy is this is exactly what you can discuss. And they'll shout you down as a maniac for even proposing as a possibility exactly what they're telling you is set to happen. I mean, it, it's just that's the infuriating part about this for someone like us is that is that you we are proving that this is what they're telling you is going to happen. And at the same time, being called crazy for pointing at that exact point. 
Here is Elon Musk discussing, as Wittgenstein points out, total biometric surveillance. You're working to build basically an interface to the brain. Yeah. Electrode to neuron interface at a micro level. Okay, what is that? Like, I'm going to have like a plug in my head that's going to fit into a hard drive? Like, or how does that work? Yeah, yeah. A chip and a bunch of tiny wires. This, this would be implanted surgically. And it would do what? Could you input? Could you download Jim? Mm-hmm. Yes. What, what, what? <laughs> the long-term aspiration with Neuralink was, would be... Think, think movies like Surrogates or other, other examples, right? Where th- what they're arguing is that it becomes just data that you can implant in a, in a you know, shell body that you, that's a, you know, biometric AI or not AI, I guess, you know, whatever, like a, like a cyborg type thing. Or as they just argued, you could implant your data into somebody else. I mean, it's just it's just so far off the rails that and this talk about Wild West like this is the Wild West on the Wild West. This gets way, there's no controlling this, especially in a time where they act like they're in control of it. And they're the very people that just did what we just saw happen. These people don't care about you. They care about using you as a means to an end. That's what. Oh, yeah. Westworld's a good example as well. I mean, there's so many things like this. And even this, I mean, the simple possibility of abuse is enough. I don't know why anybody would ever want to go in this direction. And you have people, these technocrats who are elitists, who are trying to, you know, in some cases, extend their own lives. And they don't really care how they get there. To act like this is in your best interest or this any of this is even going to be a- applicable to you or even allowed to you as the plebs is, is laugh out loud ridiculous. Because this is going to be the kind of like billion dollar, you know, rocket to the, the moon kind of thing. Like, or what, what was the guy that was doing like the rocket ship rides for like $100,000? You're not going to be able to do this. And eventually it's going to build into different species of people. And this has been talked about many times because the rich will be able to genetically edit and only get the best traits and live the longest and be the healthiest. And eventually over the process of decades and centuries, people, they will become different things. This is not conspiracy theory. If they go in this direction, that's exact, and that's what they want. Think about eugenics and the discussion there. They already believe they've got this divine right to rule in a lot of different ways, and it's not even hard to see. The, to achieve a symbiosis with uh, artificial intelligence. The long-term aspiration for Neuralink was, would be to achieve a symbiosis with uh, artificial intelligence. What we have seen so far, it's corporations and governments collecting data about where we go, who we meet what movies we watch. The next phase is the surveillance going under our skin. COVID is critical because this is what convinces people to accept, to legitimize total biometric surveillance. One of the things that I think is so essential to free and open societies is freedom of thought. Um, And up until now, the conversation we've been having is around freedom of speech. Once we can access people's thoughts and access people's emotions, we have to create a space that enables people to think freely. Yeah, okay, good. We'll we'll just create a new space, right? We don't need to keep the one, like, it's it's just... (laughs) It's insulting to your intelligence to pretend like, you know, don't worry, we're going to create a new space where you where, where, where we'll give. And then it, then it literally becomes them giving you free speech as opposed to it being an inherent right. Like, th- this is alarming. And whether or not everybody can see the dangers, history is showing you that anything can be abused by people in power. And this is exactly what I mean when I talk about Americans being farmed for the bioeconomy whether it's the transition into the fourth industrial revolution or the idea about the genetic material and how it's being used and manipulated, which brings me to the next and last and most important part of today. As Nikita pointed out, 
the potential for misuse, and the discussion of how the mRNA platform has always been one of the driving factors before COVID-19. During the universal flu discussion, this was always the agenda, and they failed and failed and failed and apparently pretended to succeed and are still hurting people right now. They don't, that's the craziest part about it. They failed from every possible company, from every possible direction with the mRNA platform or the coronavirus-specific injections over and over and over and over 20 years, and then all of them succeeded simultaneously at the exact same moment. This is childishly ridiculous. Here is the Spies or Spies Laboratory. This is an archive. And I, I read to you earlier what they what they do as it says the Spies Laboratory, the the spies probably, the Swiss Federal Institute for the uh, NBC Protection, which is nuclear biological chemical, is a division of the Federal Office of Civil for Civil Protection. We provide services related to arms control, protection measures, health and incident management for international organizations, authorities, and general population. So thank you, Nikita, for pointing this out. I'll go over the parts that you read, but I also saw a couple of other interesting ones. Now, I mean, the PDF, for some reason, it only downloads directly on your computer. When I posted it, I can't get the link. So it's right here for you guys to include. It's right there, first link, and you can open it up for yourselves. It opens up this PDF right here. So we're going to go through this and look at a couple parts. September 2021. Now, on the first part of this, what it says is genome engineering, which, by the way, don't forget, that's exactly, look, this is how funny it is that we're talking about, like, genetic editing, that's fake news, that's not what this is, or Klaus Schwab will talk about it, or Merck's CEO will say, I'm surprised everyone did genetic editing with these injections. Like, it's so obvious they don't want you thinking about that because the obvious overlap to where this is going is genetic editing. That's what this is all based on. So they were very obviously trying to hide the genetic editing overlap because they don't want you realizing that's what all of this is, that we are being experimented on. Now, that's partly my opinion, but the, I think that's been proven based on a lot of different discussions or even Merck admitting that. But the genome engineering is a recurrent theme at Spy, Spy, uh, Spies Convergence, which is the name of the Swiss outlet. This conference looked at advances in digital genome editing. So think about the fact they're talking about mRNA platforms. That is what these injections are literally based on. And they're talking about that under the umbrella of digital genome and engineering. <laughs> That's what you're dealing with if you're taking these injections right now. Digital genome engineering. Using algorithms to facilitate assembly of DNA constructs from genome sequencing data stored in digital databases. All the overlaps everywhere. The digitization of our lives. New algorithms help streamline DNA synthesis. They optimize the native DNA sequence and maintain the coding for the target proteins without compromising functionality. In April 2021, the first computationally optimized semi-synthesized cells were made. The, fuel, the full cell synthesis capability is projected by 2023. Interesting time. Today's computer algorithms enable the generation of entire genomes from scratch, providing new solutions to pressing challenges. However, a wide accessibility of genome synthesis increases the potential for accidents as well as for the technology misuse. So why aren't we talking about that? Where's the full-scale debate about whether we should even be going in this direction? Because, or Whether it's because the U.S. government will do what it always does and use this in negative ways, or because of the narrative they want you to think about, which is that the bad guy bad guys could take it and use it bad. 
Either way you talk about it. Why don't we realize that this is opening that that Pandora's box? Just like gain-of-function research was the big future until they finally go, oh, we're hurting people, and they pretend to stop and then kept doing it in Wuhan and everywhere else and still do it under EPPP research. But the point is they act like they stop because we pretend we know it's bad, right? That's this. That's how this has been going. For, since World War II, we know that they've been using the worst of the worst to continue with the same research from the Nazi research with Operation Paperclip, which became NASA, or Dr. Ishii from Japan, which became the basis for the bioengineering program they're still working on. All of this is the same stuff. It's sort of how eugenics became a different discussion, right? The eugenics society becomes the Galton Institute. It's all just redefining the same thing. They are the ones misusing this stuff, and we're watching it happen right now. This is a 2021 discussion of exactly this. It says projects in synthetic biology require relatively long DNA strands of many thousand base pairs. Hold on, make sure. Yeah, it's right there. Uh, let's just see right here. It says, uh, let's see, heirs are recognizing and removing dur during and removed during assembly based on the physical property that heteroduplex DNA strands melt at a lower temperature than a strand in a correct match. That's right here. Future plans include, this is interesting, a plug-and-play bench top instrument utilizing smart consumables. Look at that. Smart consumables. Like, like when Klaus Schwab discusses swallowing, oh no, excuse me, Albert Bolera, this, uh, the, let me get this, see if I can pull it up. Oh, you know what? I have that digestible pill discussion, right? So I want to show you this, play this real quick. Hope I'm sure I've still got this. Hold on. This is important for you guys to see the overlap here. Yep, there it is. Check this out. It is a basically biological chip that it is in the tablet. And once you take the tablet and dissolves into your stomach, sends a signal that you took the tablet. So imagine the applications of that, uh, compliance, uh, the insurance companies to know that the medicines that patients should take, they do take them. Uh, it is uh, fascinating what happens in, in uh, this field. Great. Okay, great. So aside from the, the obvious narrative talking point that we're talking about schizophrenics and mental patients that, would don't, that don't want to take their medicine, obviously there's an abuse part there what could, that could be used right now or however you want to talk about it. Well, you didn't take your vaccine. The interesting part about this is what they're discussing in September 2021 is future plans for the plug-and-play instrument, you know, the mRNA platforms that even Moderna's website calls plug-and-play. That's exactly the terminology they use. But utilizing smart consumables, which is exactly what he just discussed. Smart meaning artificial intelligence or algorithmic or technology like smart meters. So it's funny that they talk about the plug and play, but then sort of act like that's even conspiracy theory when it's really put to the question in public discussion, even though that's what they call it. And then overlap that with the exactly what he tells you this, they're building. Is it, what about the possibility that is already what's happening? I'm not saying I can prove that, but this is their, pro their proposal for the future, the discussion of this and how it can be misused. Here he is openly, I just showed you, talking about that exact application. They're the ones calling it plug and play. Shouldn't we even ask whether that's what's happening right now? I, you, think for yourselves, guys. That's crazy. That's not even the most important part. It says the aim is to provide researchers with modular third-generation benchtop DNA synthesis capability. The potential association with this technology goes far beyond that of genome cloning or genome editing. 
like CRISPR. And so does its potential for misuse. We're still talking about the mRNA platform. You realize that? that? That's what this is all about. So how can you pretend it's not gene editing when they literally talk about it because it goes way beyond that? The consequences of the growing access to tools of synthetic biology have yet to be fully understood. But let's base our entire economy on it, though. Good times. As well as the requirements for regulation or oversight, which basically don't exist. This is the Wild West, and it's exactly what they want. Then it says, in the area, the area of nanoscience and nanotechnology, this conference looked at the use of nanomaterials as drug delivery systems. <laughs> what do you know? That's exactly what's happening right now. They're talking about, in, whether we're talking bots or just material, in this case, material, that's talking about lipid nanoparticles. We are talking about the same thing, but it's funny how the terminology in this document is fake news, right? A drug release mechanism was presented that responds to physiological or other stimuli and which has reached the stage of preclinical studies. So now they're talking about the idea of nanolipoparticle or rather just nanotechnology delivery systems, which are able to release based on certain factors, other things. Again, is that happening? I don't know why we would balk at asking these questions today. Nasal or oral uptake of nanoparticles of glucose-sensitive polymers deliver insulin to diabetic patients. At high glucose levels, the nanoparticles degrade and release insulin. Right. So what's in lip lipid nanoparticles now? Maybe nothing. Maybe everything. Another example of a drug delivery vehicle are green tea-based drug carriers. Experiments have shown positive effects when anti-cancer drugs are delivered by green tea-based nanocomplexes. Nanomaterials have also been studied as a method to fight microbial resistance to antibiotics. And you can see the possibilities here. Artificial intelligence has become an important technology, it says, for the synthesis and utilization of chemical molecules. The combination of improved algorithms, increased computational power, as well as open access to data is becoming a game changer and is making so, is making so far unknown molecules and entire chemical spaces accessible. The combination of improved algorithms and access to data that is key. That's the idea of all, whether it's biometric, by bi internal bioengineering, or or you know your your genomics or data about your personal life. All this stuff is being used against you. A very promising field is the use of machine learning. That's what we just talked about with the I mean overlap of Elon Musk and the same kind of discussion. Curated data depositories are combined with trained algorithms to function as generative models. Let's see, where was it? Uh, such a generative model could, however, also be employed to propose structures for toxic agents. An example based on the nerve agent VX was presented at the workshop. All of these things have potential for abuse. And the people historically that abuse them the most are the ones that are leading the charge right now. Now let's go to the next part. And here's where the misuse continues. Advances, and this is the key part. And this is the other key part that uh, Nikita points out. Advances in mRNA technology and mRNA-based vaccines have gained much attention during COVID-19 pandemic, which fueled the development of vaccines against SARS-CoV-2. Different mRNA platform technologies and their advancement enable faster development of therapeutics and vaccines. Additionally, they increase their efficacy and thus reduce the amount of RNA needed. Furthermore, they broaden the application of the approach. Genes of monoclonal antibodies can be encoded in the RNA 
and thus eliminate concerns of their modifications and artifacts from their production. We just saw the discussion of, of, the, of the monoclonal antibodies, which are being discussed. And the point is that even that's showing antibody-dependent enhancement and they're showing that they have no effective, or rather, uh, react, or what was the word they used? It wasn't, there wasn't the, the, stare, the antibodies were not working to fight off Omicron. That's huge. But his mRNA vaccines are game changers that their rapid design and development enable shorter times to production and easier adaptation to targets. Right? All these things are being shown to benefit them and their agenda. Is it safer? Is it more effective? Well, we're seeing that's not what's happening, but they sure as hell can enable shorter times to production. Rock and roll. The synthesis platforms allow fast and cell-free production and are largely independent of the RNA sequence. Yeah, yeah, right. So they're just making, they're using genetic sequence codes on computers to make these things, which is what was proven when China admitted they didn't isolate this when they sent the genetic sequence. And that became the basis for the mRNA and the Pfizer injections. And they've never looked back. So whether you argue it was later isolated or not is irrelevant because they never needed it when they used the sequence at a point when China admitted they never isolated it. That's easily on the record facts. Why has the data not been shared? No, they didn't isolate as a virus. That's the issue. No, they didn't isolate as a virus. So the bottom line is they admitted that on a mainstream media interview, right? Now, you can argue they later did. I disagree. Either way, if Moderna or Pfizer took that original genetic sequence that was not based on isolation and used it to make an injection, which both of them did, and within a month were already, ta- were already using as a, a, a sample and already beginning tests, that means that still to this day, they are using something that was, whether or not it was isolated is irrelevant. It was based on code that was sent. That's the basis for everything we're talking about, and that's why people are being hurt. It says, these new types of synthesis and delivery platforms are being developed by collaborations of academic groups, companies, and funders, all commercialized, all internal, not based on your best interest, and many opportunists exist, opportunities, <laughs> to optimize them further. Potentials for misuse arise from the encoding of complete virus genomes to launch an infection without the need for physical access to the virus. Exactly what we just discussed, as well as from encoding toxic proteins like the spike protein and delivery through the already established routes. While this was also possible using plasmids, the new mRNA platforms make delivery much more accessible. Now, the one part I want to focus on, the synthesis of new platforms allows fast and self-reproduction It says, potentials for misuse arise from the encoding of complete virus genomes. Does that ring a bell for anybody? It should. If I still have that, I'm sure I do somewhere. Dang it, hold on. Or I thought it did. (laughs) Hold on. There it is. Okay. Coding, shoot. Um, here we go. <clears throat> Here's what Biden's executive order said. We need to develop genetic engineering technologies and techniques to be able to write circuitry for cells and predictably program biology. Well, guess what, guys? It's already here. All they're doing is framing what they already have as the thing they need to strive for. That's how this works. It's already being used on you. This is in, this is in April 2021. 
Oops. Oh, dang it. Where were we? I It was the search. Here we go. Right here. Allows you right here. Developed by the collaborations. Potential for misuse arise from the encoding of complete virus genomes to launch an infection. The first right there. That's what we're that's already there. That's the potential for misuse, which we're watching happen. Here's their executive order going, we need to be able to write circuitry and, and program all of this stuff, right? And so what they do with it, they launch an infection without the need for physical access to the virus. It's what we're seeing. It's what happened. Now, you could, infection, injection, <laughs> quick overlap. That's how I perceive it. That's what I believe is happening, that they use this to create this, which has exploded this problem, maybe, maybe by intention, maybe not, as well as from encoding toxic proteins. You can't miss how obvious this is. See where we're, see, I think there's one other point I was going to look at. Yeah, right here. The final session is always dedicated to policy discussion. What's the impact of the new advances, right? And this, this, these are things they were talking about in the midst of all of this. But under this misuse part, it says advances in life scientists and enabling technologies bring great benefits to humankind. They could, can. However, there is virtually no Single light use life science technology. It's all dual use, guys. Dual use. Dependent on the intent, technological advancements can be misused to develop chemical or biological warfare agents, to find new methods for the production of known agents, to help defeat detection or verification, or to compromise existing countermeasures. So no matter how you look at this, you cannot miss that this is can be, and I argue, based on their history, will be misused against you. And that's already right now what's happening that's where i believe this is thank you nikita for pointing this out it's always been there now this goes back before this the universal flu injection discussion that was all about the same platform idea this has always been the same direction especially the covid injections have always been the mrna focus at the middle of the beginning of this there was all sorts of other technology that people were ready to use and instead they bet everything on this experimental thing that is clearly still hurting everybody maybe by design either way this is the direction, no matter what. Here, just a quick little side example from Business Insider. This is on the 15th of September. Software engineers from big tech firms like Google, Amazon, Microsoft, and Facebook, Meta, are apparently paying at least $75,000 to get three inches taller. A leg-lengthening surgeon says, this is the beginning. These people are already paying this money because they have the money to just make themselves taller so they feel like they're, above, you know, bigger, stronger, better, whatever. It's not just getting taller. They've had discussions about blood infusions of young people. That's, that was, that, they made a joke about this on the show Silicon Valley, but you can easily look this up. They've had, there's real world investigation and, and science around the idea of taking children's blood or just, you know, younger people's blood and infusing it into older people and, and, and showing a result. This stuff gets nefarious when you realize how this can be misused. This is the beginning of the transhumanist direction. And it's all there geeking out about this. It's time for us to realize what this is really about. And it's not even just about getting taller, guys. It is about the control of your life. Everything into this transhumanist great reset direction at all costs, no matter what. And you know what's happening? People are standing up. People are pushing back because this is not what we want. This is not what humanity wants. I think we need to see that by now. And you know what? It's happening a lot. And it's time for this country, I think, more than anything, to do that as well. Stand up. 
You know that I never advocate for violence, but there's a lot of people showing you that it can be done without violence. Of course, they're going to say that you're conspiracy theorists or crazy like they do with anything. But here is Bernie's tweets, EU Parliament. Hungary is no longer a true democracy. You know why? And she says, translation, because Hungary is no longer following their narrative. Despots don't understand populism is democracy. Now, I don't know if I entirely agree that it's always the case or that we should even want democracy, but here is Hungary. Look at that, guys. These people are not letting this happen. That's inspiring. Here's another one. Haiti, this is from Wall Street Silver. Haiti has been paralyzed since yesterday following the announcement of a rise in fuel prices. Besides smaller increases for diesel and kerosene, further squeezing a population already struggling with soaring costs of living. Look, look at this protest, guys. How in the world do you miss that this is everywhere? The world is protesting everywhere. This is bigger than even like the yellow vest discussion, guys. These people across the world are taking to the streets to say we are not okay with this manufactured manipulation. We're watching it happen. Stand up, guys. Now is the time. I will always say that I do not advocate violence because I believe that. I believe violence begets violence. But it is the time to stand up and make sure everybody around you knows so they can see that other people agree that we don't think this is okay. That we are going to keep pushing back because when you push back and they push back and we all push back, we can actually change things. That is what they're most afraid of. That's what we're doing right now. We are changing things and so are you. And it's time to just own that. Take it. Stay the course because we're changing the world. I feel it every single day. Now, it may not mean that we succeed in every possible way, but every day we're influencing people not to think what we think, but to ask questions. And if you think that influencing people to question the narrative is a bad thing, then you're still lost. Because historically, it's always been the right move. Thank you for being here. Time to stand up, guys. The charge is yours. I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. What's the force industrial law? What the force industrial revolution will lead to this is, still, is this a is fusion at the, at the beginning of, of our physical, our digital, and our biological identities. Yeah, that's strange. So I'm not sure why the streamer does this every now and again. But so I'm still live. You guys can still see me, but I'm going to press the button right now. What the force industrial revolution will lead to is a fusion of our physical, our digital, and our biological identities. The difference of this forced uh, industrial revolution is it doesn't change what you are doing. It changes you if you take a genetic editing, right. uh, just as an example. It's you who exactly. are changed. Yeah. And of yeah. course, this has a big impact on yeah. your identity. Yeah. It is important to use the COVID-19 crisis as a timely opportunity. So people assume uh, we are just going back uh, to the good old world which we had um, and everything will be normal again in how we are used to normal in the old fashion. This is, uh, let's say, fiction. It will not happen. Um, the the uh, cut which we have now, 
um, is much too strong uh, in order not to leave traces.